Welcome to the Quack 12 Podcast, the most official, unofficial, Oregon Ducks podcast on the web footosphere. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Quack 12 Podcast or visit our website, quack12podcast.com. If you like what you hear, please leave us five stars on your listening device. And if you'd like to support the show, please visit the Quack 12 Patreon page, where for a measly $5 a month, you can become an official quacky and unlock hundreds of hours of Oregon Duck content. On to the show. Quack. Quack. Listeners, I give you a heartfelt quack, quack, quack to start this episode because... Yeah, we've been talking about all those other Pac-12 teams, and I've, you know, I've been friendly. I've said, oh, this team, I'm secretly rooting for them. I'm secretly, oh, you know, uh, Cal can be kind of fun in its own kooky way, or Wazoo would be fun to, you know, get wasted on the Palouse. I've been saying all those things, but you know, truly, they're the bottom 11. I would gladly all those teams stop playing football entirely for one Oregon football natty. Uh, gladly. I, all those football teams can completely lock up their doors just for that. The, we're here. This is the big one. We finally got to it. We save it for the last. We're talking about the Oregon Ducks football roster. Oh, it feels good, especially when we actually got this amount of talent on the team. There's still some treacherous little areas, but looking at other Pac-12 opponents, I'm feeling very good about this roster. I'm very excited to talk about this roster, especially with my dear friend and spring football companion, Hithliday of Addicted to Quack. Hithliday, we are finally here. Yeah, at long last, this is year number five that we've gone <laughs> through the entire Pac-12 together. Um, it's been quite a ride. Uh, we have not missed a week. This will be mm-hmm. episode 60 uh, <laughs> of the experience, and I, I can't imagine a better partner for it, Adam. Hats off to you, man. Like, uh, I, To my knowledge, there is n- no one else in the country does anything like this project and couldn't do it without you. I really think that this is a hell of a thing that we do together, and and let's get this one done. Yeah. Well, I can definitely assure you this could not happen without you because there's no way I'm putting this amount of thought into it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's amazing the Pac-12 network, probably RIP, I don't know, doesn't do it, – They're not. it's not even crossing their mind that they would have anything like this. Hmm. But Hithliday – So five years we've been doing this, but this is the first spring game that we actually, this is the first time we saw face-to-face even at this spring game. It was a a great time. It really was a lot of excitement, which was especially fun in juxtaposition to the lack of excitement for Washington spring game. And you were there on a mission. I'm kind of there to soak up some sun. You had the roster sheet out. You're looking for every single number, double check-in. You're like Santa Claus That's out true. there. I actually, <laughs> and, and I printed a second copy for you to like. Because you knew I wouldn't, and that is perfect. You, this yeah. is why this relationship works, you know? Yes, that's true. I, I had a, my own personalized sheets printed out to verify that everybody, and, and I brought my binoculars and, and spent most of actually the spring game because I was recording it anyway, and I knew 
knew that mm-hmm. I was going to go back and watch my my recording for for that purpose. You know, I was mostly there to like scope out the sidelines, you know, to make sure that everybody was was actually there on the sidelines that I was expecting to be, you know, for uh, accepting, of course, the, the people who had previously been discussed in the media as being held out with mm-hmm. injury. And yeah, that was the happy news was that, yeah, unlike everybody else in this, the Pac-12, literally every team in the Pac-12 had somebody depart after the spring game. You know, they were like, well, I'm not happy with, you know, what happened in spring. And so I'm out of here. Or there was a surprise like non-participant, like not true for Oregon. Everybody who was supposed to be there was there. And, you know, everybody who participated is as far as we're aware anyway, uh, you know, still there because everybody who is part of Oregon football wants to be part of Oregon football. Yeah. The other thing about, you know, this being the 12th out of 12 uh, of these projects that we do is that like, yeah, man, it's a, it's pretty well managed roster. Every unit is like, huh, this is very well balanced. There are going to be a couple of positions that we talk about in which it's a little eyebrow raising because I think they're going to be relying on true freshmen for some of their depth play. Players, mm-hmm. um, you know, like prime, not starters, but like primary rotational players. And when I say primary rotational players, I mean, like they're going to be seeing substantial playing time because, you you know, you're going to be rotating them. You know, you, you're not going to they are the types of positions that you don't have the same guy playing every single snap, you know, like your quarterback, for example, for a lot of teams, that would be scary. But the you know, the other thing about Oregon that's remarkable is it's the most talented team in the Pac-12. You know, USC is right there nipping at their their heels. You know, it's, it's sort of a 1A, 1B situation. But like, but, you know, those two, the the next step, you know, Oregon and USC, their average roster talent is, is right about at a 0.91. Number three in the Pac-12 is UW, which is at about a, a 0.882. So it's like, mm-hmm. it's huge. Like there's no bigger step between any two teams than between USC and UW. So then like Washington through Stanford, like two through six is like, you know, another cluster, you know, around like, you know, 0.88 to, to the high 0.87 area. And, and then it sort of falls off again, you know, for another cluster of five between Colorado and OSU, you know, in around the 0.8, you know, hovering around the 0.86 area. And then Wazoo was a Mountain West team. Um, <laughs> you know, so it's like, and for anybody who doesn't speak the 247 composite numbers, that means, you know, Oregon and USC are basically operating with an average roster talent of a, you know, of a four-star. 0.89 is the threshold of, a, of being a four-star. So a 0.91 is like getting close to being a mid, you know, four-star. Is their average you know, level of roster talent that like, which like, man, if you're an older Oregon fan, you remember like the, the bad <laughs> old days, the fact that the average Oregon roster player is close to a mid four star is like, absolutely. Lord. Yeah. And it's, and it's higher. I mean, only slightly, but still higher than USC. Like, oh my gosh, Oregon will be the most talented team on the field in all 12 games. And the, the the most talented team that they play, they play in Autzen. Yeah. Well, like just the overall, you know, level of talent is, I mean, wow. I, I mean, I've never seen, I've never seen this. 
Well, and it was really nice, too, because while we were there, you were pressed. I liked that you had an eye at the spring game, that is. An eye for a couple of players that you're like, I had a feeling about this guy, and you got it really excited. I remember Holden specifically, and yeah. then uh, uh, Martin. I remember, I feel like won your yeah. heart over. <laughs> like, you really well, liked it him. wasn't just it wasn't just that he was like the spring game breakout guy who like mm. look man i i don't watch spring games for performance it's anybody who's really watching spring games for performance is that's kind of a casual that's kind of a casual fan thing and mm. and like crowning the spring game like breakout guy is is kind of that's a trap there's a bunch of things that happen in spring games that make it so that you it's often an illusion but martin playing the nickelback with the one you can watch spring games for personnel you know yeah. because they're not going to install a different schematic structure for the offense or defense and they're not going to have as a joke like have the threes playing with the ones and the ones playing with the th like you're in the doghouse because you were late to a meeting and so we're going to have you playing with the threes they don't do that so you can watch the spring game for like oh this is what the structure is and this is what position you're playing and this is the rough pecking order for where guys are in those positions so when you know guys like holden was playing with the ones as an inside receiver even though he's a six three guy so that was like sort of a question you know mm -hmm. whether he'd play inside or outside he plays inside yep that's what i thought and he's actually pretty good yep that's what i thought alabama had not really been utilizing him. it was really weird you know that was a question that i had from watching his film because like he started out this gangbusters dude and then alabama just like progressively benched him I was like what the hell is going on here and it was something that like i'm never gonna have an answer to that question because i can't like abduct nick saban and give him sodium pentothal and force him to tell me um i can only find I mean, out you could but you can only do it one time yeah <laughs> Yes. Then you're done. Um, I, that dude probably is carrying a bunch of knives on him. Like, I, I, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, you know, the only way I'm ever going to find out about Holden is watching him. So I got to watch him and I was like, yep, thought so. Uh, or like Tez Johnson, who like, yes, you know, yeah. same article as I wrote about John, Holden. I wrote about Johnson and I was like, Johnson, I, I've got a feeling about this dude, you know, is a real stud, but he was playing at a G5 level. I sort of want to see him, you know, take the field, you know, and let's see how he does here. Yep thought so and then martin it wasn't so much martin's performance although i was impressed by his performance it's that he was playing with the ones and he looked really technically sound which is what i was interested in seeing because he's a coach's kid right he's Dimitris mm -hmm. martin the cornerbacks coach son and like as a true freshman i'm like aha he is going to be the nickelback and taishim johnson who everybody had speculated is coming in to play the nickelback because he was sort mm -hmm. of kind of playing that in Ole Miss's defensive structure but then I watched Ole Miss's de defense and I'm like this is a dime defense all the time and they have him playing nickel because sort of their dime defense makes everybody into a nickel but actually his skill set is more like a free safety ah I bet what they're doing is actually they're going to have him challenge for Addison's job they're going to move mm -hmm. Addison back to be you know the dime player in their dime package because that's what Addison was doing in 2021 they're going to have have Johnson challenge him for the free safety position, not the nickel mm -hmm. position, but they have to have a solution to the nickel. I wonder if that's going to be Martin, the coach's kid. And then when we, what happened when we showed up in Autzen Stadium, Adam, Martin put on a show as the true freshman coach's kid at the nickel position with the ones. And I was like, 
aha, this all clicked. It all fell into position. This was a plan. Like they had this planned out. And like it was this thing that I sort of had this brainwave when I was watching film of Taishim Johnson. And I was like, maybe they could do this, but I'm not going to know until I get to watch Martin in the spring game. So when it happened, you know, that's why I kept elbowing, elbowing you in the ribs <laughs> and, and pointing at Martin and being like, look what he's doing. This was the plan. And you were like, I quit bothering me. I want to, you know, watch the game. Uh, <laughs> I, was <laughs> I was probably looking for a snack or something. <laughs> yeah. I was like, you don't understand all these puzzle pieces are falling into place. Yeah. So that's that was that's what was going on. And what has been going on as far as uh, actual kind of coaching staff turnover is, well, the big one is, of course, Kenny Dillingham, uh, yeah. now Arizona State. The Such a huge difference in age from their last head coach to this head coach. I can't even imagine, yeah, right. 40 years or something. They both had Will kids, Stein. actually, both both Kenny Dillingham really? and Will Stein in, in the yeah uh young fathers um oh i thought you uh, meant i thought you meant herm edwards <laughs> so no, I, was no. talking about, oh. I was like that is wow that is amazing no uh that's good enough um will stein well congratulations will stein and another young promising offensive coordinator i mean i've heard a lot of obviously coach talk from him, but i've liked the coach talk i've heard from him and i know that you have covered him on addicted to quack as you've covered like just a lot of these transfers already have their own article over there on addicted to quack use your google machine that's true or just read my article on thursday every one yeah. of the yeah i reviewed um oregon got three new coaches they replaced mm -hmm. um kenny dillingham with will stein from utsa i watched all of will T will stein's film he despite having i think the 78th ranked talent in the, the two for 17 talent composite they put the 26th ranked offense in f plus advanced statistics on the field so that was mm -hmm. pretty impressive at a uh, will stein at TSA. I reviewed all of that um, film and I wrote up that article that is linked in my Oregon Duck Dive uh, article that will be published on Thursday. The uh, other uh, coach is um, the new offensive line coach, Alik Terry. Um, he's replacing Adrian Clem, um, mm -hmm. who was hired by the Patriots to be their um, their offensive line coach. And I think co-offensive coordinator. I'm, I'm not sure what the rest of his titles are. Anyway, Alik Terry was a Wake Forest offensive lineman. He then became an Oregon graduate assistant who worked with yep. the uh, with the offensive line under Alex Mirabal and actually worked with several of these some of the older offensive linemen who are current still on Oregon's roster. Um, <laughs> And then he got hired by the Hawaii uh, staff. It was a completely dysfunctional team. The old, uh, oh, what's his name with the buzz cut? He used to call Graham. Todd Graham, thank you. He used to coach at Arizona State. That's where I was going with this. He mm -hmm. apparently ran a very dysfunctional program, and he wound up resigning. And watching that film of Hawaii was, like, really painful because it was just, like, it was a bad team. It was a bad team, apparently, on the field, and then reading some of the media coverage and, like, some yeah. of the, the after-action stuff was, like, a really dysfunctional team. They beat the Beavers, if I remember, but, yeah, they were really, really uh, That yeah. was, like, a game that took place at, like, 3 a.m. and televised on <laughs> Facebook. It was hard to it. get that film. <laughs> anyway, the offensive line was, like, the only good part of it. And and so, yeah, I wrote up that film and, you know, that, too, will be linked in my article. You know, if you want to go back and read that, I think Alik Terry is a pretty good offensive line coach. You've certainly been recruiting very well. Yes, absolutely. 
So anyway, uh, those are the two offensive new coaches. And then they have a new defensive coach, Matt Powledge, who was Oregon's safeties coach in co-DC. He went back to Baylor to become their new DC, like like full on DC yeah. because his mentor Ron Roberts is now Auburn's defensive coordinator because you know Auburn fired everybody <laughs> and hired the wrong people. Well, who knows? <laughs> I actually like Ron Roberts a lot. He's sort of one of the like part of the brain trust of the tight front defense, which is the origin of this mint front mm. um, defense. So he's sort of like the like great grandfather of Dan Lanning, if you want to like trace the lineage <laughs> of this defensive structure. So like, yeah, M Matt Powledge was like part of that, you know, piece. So anyway, he he went off to to sort of like succeed Ron Roberts at the Baylor job, which is where he came from. It was like where Lanning found Powellage in the first place. So anyway, they brought in Chris Hampton from Tulane. Tulane ran a tight front defense last year. So mm -hmm. like, yeah, this is all, it's all like of a piece. And, and I, they held USC to, uh, you know, a low enough score to win a yeah, game. Right. Don't look any I mean, further. USC, yeah. I mean, USC carved them up, but I mean, like sort of, of course they did. USC carved everybody yeah. up. They had the number yeah. one offense last year. Tulane won, but, though. But otherwise, like Tulane's actually their defense, you know, I forget exactly where they, I think they were the 28th ranked defense. I'm sorry, I, I don't have the article in front of me, but like they had a pretty good defense otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good, it was a good defense. And and so, yeah, it, Chris Hampton comes in and, and to replace Matt Powledge for that. And I wrote him up and that, too, is linked in my article. It seems like a, a pretty good sign for the Oregon Ducks as of right now that all three of these coaches went to, I would say, inarguably better, like a, a higher spot. You know, they weren't they didn't go a lateral move necessarily. Yeah, well, they definitely hired up and they definitely were like, you know, coached above their talent level you know, like, mm -hmm. you know, performed above, you know, they, they, two of the guys had poor talent and produced great, you know, performances. And one of them was on a dysfunctional team, but had like the best unit on a dysfunctional team. So like, yeah, yeah you know, I dig it. I, I think these are three pretty good hires. Which that seems like a rare combo that you have a good offensive line and then still just a terrible team. That's, that's, oh so man. I mean, we could go on for a long time about this stuff. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't have to. Hawaii. We're going to talk about Hawaii at some point. So, uh, I guess. not in this episode. I mean, or, yeah, it's true because Oregon plays them. Mm -hmm. I mean, it won't be the same. I mean, they completely changed it. They, they, uh, they, they brought in one of their legends, uh, uh Timmy, Timmy Chang to, uh, yes, to, to sort of remake the team after the, the disaster. So, yeah, yeah, that should be um, pretty interesting. I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to that. The, it, it's the third game that Oregon plays, so I will get to watch two of their like for real teams with him. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. You've written this wonderful article uh, about Will Stein. It seems like we we shouldn't expect too drastic of a, a of a difference offense in general uh i would assume yes i mean it's a modern college football offense it's mm -hmm. you know 11 personnel spread it's i mean honestly you know most with some exceptions from some eccentrics at this point, just about everybody in college football are running fairly similar offenses. It's just a question of how competent you are at them. There is one notable thing, which is that Kenny Dillingham, more than I expected, like I noted that when I was watching his film at Florida State and um, at his other stops, I noted that he liked using tight ends a lot. I didn't 
expect him to use 12 or more per like multiple tight end sets as much as he did. He at Oregon, he wound up using multiple tight end sets on about a third of all snaps, which was like a lot, including like a bunch of eye formation snaps, which are, I mean, that's fun, you know, that was fun to watch when he, when that did get wheeled out there. Uh, yeah, it it was a changeup. Yeah. Stein, it was exclusively 11 personnel, exclusively, you know, single tight end. Now, that may be because at UTSA, he only had one tight end, you know, and he may, (laughs) you know, want to be like, well, now that I've got a few more toys, maybe I'll, you know, want to do stuff. But like, uh, but that's about it, you know, in terms of and then the other thing about Stein's that you should really read that article, listener, because it was it was actually really interesting because he wound up in like. I, I I traced the history of it. He wound up changing his offense in a fairly substantial way three different times over the course of between 2021 and the beginning of 2022 and then mid-season 2022. You know, those constituted two different changes. So like there were three different offenses that I'm talking about in terms of the run game and then the RPO game. And those had to do with some offensive line problems that he had to deal with and then the, the offensive line sort of getting better. And that was really cool to watch like the flexibility of that. It was just like he recognized that like I've got different tools now and so like I'm going to approach this differently and so like the rpo game just really explodes in the sort of the second part of the season for him and it really takes off and like i love watching an rpo based offense and like so does bo nix bo nix is definitely a an rpo loving quarterback i'm sure that you know our tight end situation is better than at utsa but i don't mind hearing someone that isn't uh you know that is less reliant on the uh 12 front or (laughs) bringing in multiple because that we'll get to it but that position is a a little scarier i think that's sort of a bi-directional situation like i think some Mm -hmm. of the the fact that uh tight ends transferred out probably had to do with will stein coming in and and probably saying like hey guys i run an 11 personnel offense like i don't need six tight ends in this room yeah that makes sense and i mean it's some drastic moves happen um particularly one move that i never ever believed would happen but we'll get Mm. to that a little bit wow what a tease adam (laughs) hey yeah i mean by number 12 we should be a little bit better at this yeah is there should we dive into this roster yeah let's let's talk about the players okay Bo Nix was really really good last season I'd like to start off by saying that he was he had the seventh highest passer rating in the nation and like the guys ahead of him one of them by only like a couple of points in in passer rating was the Heisman winner Caleb Williams Mm -hmm. and besides those two nobody was higher in the Pac-12 and then a couple of guys who were in just like super like G5 super air raidy offenses so it's like you know of course and then like Bryce Young Mm -hmm. guy who gets like drafted number one you know like so yes, he was he was extremely good, and maybe more to the point, his passer rating was was like forty points higher than it was at Auburn. Yeah. If you go back and read my twenty twenty two duck dive, I spent like four paragraphs talking about how like I believe in Bo Nix. I think that he's his one twenty six passer rating at Auburn is just an artifact of 
a Gus Malzahn and Mike Bobo were being dumb with him and B they, they didn't recruit any offensive linemen and C they didn't recruit any uh, wide receivers there. And all three of those things are going away when he comes to Oregon, he'll have a great offensive line and great wide receivers and a great coordinator. And so therefore I think that Bo Nix is going to shine. And then that's exactly what happened. And mm-hmm. I was like, shooting down people on Twitter who was telling me who were telling me like, Oh, we know who Bo Nix is. He's never going to improve. And I'm like, you're going to eat your words, dude. And I kept the receipts and I, man, yeah. I mean, there is an audio clip. I am sure from this very podcast where you said that exact thing before the season, yep. I am positive by that. Cause I wanted you to say it. I generally don't go back and dig up, you know, people's tweets and like dunk on them. But like, that was one I was like, nah, no, I'm going to dunk on you for, for that dumb <laughs> take, tweet. Like, Take your victory lap. Take your victory lap. But also, so Bo Nix is absolutely a, a great quarterback. Uh, it was also proven last season, I believe, that he is very crucial. A fully sure. functioning Nix is very crucial yeah. to this team. Hopefully that has changed. But uh, if any uh-huh. diehard Duck fan certainly knows... Ty Thompson, I'll just leave it, doesn't inspire a lot of confidence. I mean, and something could change, but he doesn't inspire a lot of confidence. I mean, this isn't saying anything particularly new. It's simply no. the case at just about every program in modern college football. Nobody is allowed to have two great quarterbacks, you know, at the same time because like the second quarterback is just going to leave for another opportunity. You get to have one great quarterback and maybe one great developmental quarterback, but the the instant the developmental quarterback is ready to play, he he's either playing or he's gone. So you know, like nobody's got a great backup. Like it just doesn't happen. So, so like the, the fact that like it didn't, like it's not saying anything super crazy to say like, yeah, if your quarterback gets hurt, it hurts your production. Like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. yeah. But yeah. like in particular, just sort of Oregon, the, the structure of Oregon's rushing offense is still a read option rushing offense. They do eliminate it, it was still a read option rushing offense and an RPO in order to get an advantage in the box count. And so against Utah, the game after he mm-hmm. got hurt, you know, Utah simply disregarded the threat of Nick's keeping the ball and running and just went right after the running back. And so Oregon's running game suffered and, you know, and, and basically until Nick's was a threat to run again, which he basically wasn't even through the end of the bowl game, mm-hmm. which was like, you know, a month and a half later, like Oregon never, like they never really got back up to the, their same rushing production for that reason, you know? So like, yeah, Nick's being healthy is not just essential, you know, because you need both legs in order to throw you know, your, your throwing mechanics need both of your legs to be working, mm-hmm. but also him being a, just a threat to run. He doesn't need to keep it all the time. He just need, you know, needs to keep the defense honest to, to get an advantage in the box count. Yeah. He needs to stay healthy. And then the implication for Ty Thompson, look, you know, here's the thing, like we have seen Ty Thompson make some spectacular throws. Like we have, we've seen it in live ball. Uh, you know, in 2021, we've seen it in some spring games. Uh, we saw it in this mm-hmm. spring game. You and I were sitting there in Austin Stadium and we watched them make some great passes. True. After some bad ones to start off the spring game, but absolutely. Sure. Not. Well, I don't know, but that's the thing. Not only the bad ones in the spring game, but the bad ones in live ball were not 
man, look, I went and watched the tape. That was something that I did. That was one of my off season things that I did. Not there's very much, you know, I got it done in a day. I watched <laughs> every throw that Ty Thompson has made mm-hmm. in live football. He's not throwing bad balls. He's given it just the play didn't work out. Like the defense guessed where it needed to be and they jump in front of it and knock the ball down. But it's not like Ty Thompson is like doing something stupid. So like what I, you know, the, the line that's going to be in my article is that like, it is entirely plausible that the film is just unfair to him and it's a small amount of film. And it's entirely possible that if he ever gets control of a, of a like, cause the other thing is they often put it with like the plays that they put him in for are kind of like weird trick plays. Like they have him run like screens or kind of trick or trick ish plays. And it's sort of like, Hey, could you just have him one run like the normal offense? Yeah. You know, well, I against Utah, right? There's that one like fumble, which it was a fumbled exchange, which he didn't. I, I mean, I don't think the ball fell out of his yeah, hands necessarily, no. yeah. but it's just the one play he was in there to spell. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like he snake bit or something. It's like, yeah. yeah it's, you know, it, you're right. There's, it's a, it's a horrible set of circumstances that happens every time he's on the field. So like, maybe he's been cursed by a witch or something like, I don't, you know, but which if, if that's true, then yeah, don't put him on the field. But like, that's not true. There's no such thing as curses or magic. Like that's literally magical thinking. Well, that's for a different podcast. We'll bring on Aaron for that discussion. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But, but I guess uh, here's the thing though, you know, when I say, when I say it is plausible that the small amount of film that we have on him is unfair to him you heard me say it it's a tiny amount of film it means that two different coaching staffs have both made the decision to not put him in Mm -hmm. for any serious amount of time which there's probably something to read into that i think his loyalty is really great but i'm not sure how many to oregon scale programs that are are dying to start ty thompson at this moment Um, Yeah. Yeah. Like, cause what film do they have to look at to be like, yeah, look at their chops. So then the question is who's the backup. My suspicion is for short term stuff, you know, like, you know, just like a a little stinger or something that Thompson would still go in for short term things like, like Nix's helmet comes off and he needs to sit off, sit out one play, you know, kind of stuff like that's Thompson or just it's garbage time, you know, Mm -hmm. just like, you know, kneel out the game kind of stuff. That's Ty Thompson. But if Nix is out for an extended period of time, like, you know, like we don't know when he's coming back in, it's time to start, you know, for real. I think the coaching staff might go with Austin Novosad, the true freshman, you know, mid four star that they got because he's at least right now, he's probably the future of the program. And they might say, I'm sorry, Ty, we just don't believe in you and we believe in Austin more. So we're just going to start the future of the program right now. I think that might, I I mean, I have no way of knowing, but I'm saying that that too is plausible. And we just don't, I don't know the answer to that question. It almost, I mean, if we don't see uh, Novosad at all, it almost would make me think like, well, this is, I mean, this is a different coaching staff. Thompson must be showing them something. Like he must have some kind, I don't know. Well, so we're in the same well, I mean, Oregon fans need to, to face this. This quarterback room, you know, it, it, for how it looks in 2023 for backup purposes is not as comfortable as like, say, 
Arizona State or like, say, Washington is, where mm-hmm. if their starting quarterback goes down, if you're Washington, they put in Dylan Morris. Do I think that Dylan Morris is the best quarterback in the Pac-12? No, but he's capable of executing their mm-hmm. offense for, you know, a couple of drives. Fine. Or Arizona State, where they've got Jorge and Rashada and Drew Pine, who started at Notre Dame and won, I think, yeah. 10 games. Oregon doesn't have that. Oregon has a quarterback situation where it's when Bo Nix got gimpy, they put in gimpy Bo Nix instead of Ty Thompson, and the, the they only have one other quarterback on scholarship, and that's a true freshman. So, yeah, it's not as deep of a room as as some other rooms in the Pac-12. If we get down to Mount Rush, we're in real t- trouble, I believe. That's okay. the Division Three non-scholarship <laughs> who came in, yeah. Who I just read his name for the first time. So I guess, I mean, that's that's about as, as simple as it gets, really, uh, in the QB room. Bo Nix, real good. If he had to leave, maybe really bad. Running backs, I mean, Bucky Irving won us over so much, which was kind of tough to do because it's not like fans, I mean, they you know, there was injuries, but... Sean Dollars, Byron Cardwell, fans liked them quite a bit. Sure. They were still I, eager I like for them. Yeah, absolutely. Like I wish him, you know, all the best luck. But Bucky Irving immediately, you know, he gets the name Bucky, none of that bullshit that Minnesota was doing, and just really won us over. I mean, what I like making a lot of noise in all the preseason Pac-12 polls and such. And then Noah Whittington. Very good as well. Like there wasn't a huge drop off per se. Both had both were threats in the passing game. Both felt like really strong runners, like we had seen uh, back in the day. Yeah. yeah, excellent yards at excellent yards after contact. In fact, Whittington's yards after contact is better than Irving's. Yeah, both excellent. But you know, Irving finished with five, six point eight you know yards per carry. Whittington is still a, and it was a thousand yard rusher. Whittington finished with 5.6, which is still well over the, th- you know, my yeah. threshold for a good running back is five. So 5.6. Good job. Absolutely. And even little Jordan James contributed. Yeah, the true freshman. He was used as the short yardage guy. So his yards per carry is only 4.1. But like you have to you have to keep the asterisks next to that and remember that like he was used as the he was the the eye formation back that they were using on a lot of those plays where it's like third and one and you just need to pound this. So like, yeah, of course, his, his do you think that'll lower. continue? Jordan James will still be that guy. Well, I don't think the Will Stein's going to run the I formation, so probably not. To be honest, I don't know exactly what his skill set is, you know, because he was sort of used in that specialist role. Yeah, I am curious to to see. I mean, he is built a little thicker than those guys, but that's what's interesting about the two true freshmen that they brought in. They brought in Jaden Lamar, who's a, a low four four star. He's sort of built in this a similar way to Irving and Whittington. Um, I think you know Coach Lachlan just has a type, and it's similar to the guy that they just um recruited today the 2024 um uh guy Riggs. he's yeah. very clear that, that coach lachlan <laughs> has a type because lachlan also had whittington he brought him in from western kentucky which is where lachlan uh, was coaching at before landing brought him over to oregon but they also got a guy who's really intriguing to me um who's dante dowdell who's uh six two two ten like mm. real, like real tall, really big back. Hmm. And and a back of that size opens up some real opportunities to do some interesting stuff in the run game. I am very curious to see how he figures in, if at all. Do you know how he is as a pass catcher at all? Have you, have well, you exactly. Much of like, yeah. 
Six two. I mean, there's there's a lot of Pac twelve teams we were talking to that would die for a six two receiver. You know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, was who would kill for an outside receiver <laughs> who's six two? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm really curious to see how the true freshmen play out in this room. But the thing is, Oregon. I mean, the returners are so good. I mean, Oregon yeah. could redshirt them, and you'd never know. But like, and but here I am talking about like, oh boy, I'm really fascinated by the true freshman. Good to know that the true running back you is sticking to its name. Uh, and then uh, Kilana Hassan Ritter. Even I remember him from last season. He was fun. Uh, I, li- I like rooting yep. for anyone who has any association with Hawaii. I I am That's a big true. Rainbow Warriors fan. I believe his name means Bunny Knight. German. No way, really. Well, Hassan means hair and Ritter means writer. Yeah, we gotta we gotta get him on the show. Only talk about that. So then we get to tight ends, which last season we're when we're going into the season, you know, Cam McCormick ten years in, like he's got his second doctorate or whatever, uh, and we just were so happy with how many options we had, how many like great talent. And then, um, well, you know, you really broke it down when you were talking about uh, what Will Stein may be trying to, you know, shift us towards a little bit. But it seemed like for a second there, the coaching staff told some tight ends like, hey, we need like one of you or something to leave. And then too many people got the memo at the same time. And and uh, uh, we had really good options out. I mean, Maliki Madaval was was very good. I, I really liked watching him. Cam McCormick is just absolutely a legend at the University of Oregon. I will root for him no matter what. He went to Miami, right? Is he playing with Cristobal? Yes. Hell Miami. yeah. That and is Madavau went to UCLA. Cool. Yeah, honestly, ah. I just think they were just, you know, both of them is probably just smart moves, you know, for both yeah. of them. You know, to, like Madavau instantly becomes a better tight end than anything that, that, that UCLA – Chip Kelly's offense needs a tight end. They've had a good one for a long time, but then they didn't last year and they didn't mm-hmm. have a good option because, of course, they, you know, Chip Kelly doesn't recruit. <laughs> so, like, Madavau shows up and, like, that was the team that Oregon beat out for Madavau in the recruiting battle back in 2021. Mm. So, like, yeah, I mean, yeah, that made sense. And then McCormick going to hang out with, um, with Cristobal totally makes sense, too. It truly makes sense that a player from 2016 is going to suit up for 2023. I love it. He's great. But like, yeah, no, for his, his reward for rehabbing for like six years is to go hang out in, yeah. in, in South Beach. Yeah. He's no. soft retiring. Yeah. Good. Good for him. Uh, yeah. No, he's a, he's an old man. Yeah, exactly. Where, <laughs> where else does anyone retire but Miami? Uh, yeah. He's a snowbird. Um, <laughs> so anyway, I, I yeah, no, I think this more schematically than anything, because Madavau's the way that Oregon was using him was more of an H back. And I just don't think an H back exists in Stein's office offense and i think that mccormick is just sort of like it was the 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 order for the inline tight end was ferguson mccormick herbert and i Mm. think mccormick was just like you know herbert's coming up because herbert was coming off of an injury right like that he's a 2019 guy but he missed a bunch of playing time and some developmental time and i think mccormick is just like i'm gonna get squeezed out here you know they really just need for the structure of this offense they really just need ferguson and herbert and then they're gonna get the true freshman sadiq who's an who's another mid four star and they're like yeah that room is gonna be fine they they don't really need me and so off he goes madaval they can't use because he's an h-back and and he'd rather be in los angeles you know anyway um or at least you know 
Kelly can use him more than than Stein can. So like there's mm-hmm. more playing time available for him there. So like that totally made sense. I think everybody's just happier, you know, frankly, and and everybody would be happier if not for the fact that Terrence Ferguson then gets hurt mm-hmm. and is like basically missed all of spring practice um, with this injury. And Oregon's been pretty quiet about it. Like we haven't gotten any updates that have been like, oh, no, don't sweat it, guys. He's totally going to be good, you know, which is sort of like yeah. makes me sweat a little bit. I've always said that is another good thing that the spring game can't you that is a a factual thing you can get from the spring game is like that guy's not even dressed up you know right exactly you can get your binoculars out and you can look at who is playing and who is not in in cellular injuries so like yeah so ferguson being injured is what throws a monkey wrench into the happy story Mm -hmm. that i just finished telling and so what they've done is gone out and they've gotten they got casey kelly from ole miss i'm going to be writing up his film in a little bit here you know in july he's uh been you know playing for ole miss for three years primarily as a blocker but he does have like 28 catches for about 282 yards which you know makes him I haven't watched the film yet. I mean, I watched actually a little bit of his film, um, just doing other SEC projects. But we know he has film. That is right. I actually remember he recovered a fumble at one point. Like he, like he, the quarterback got sacked and then he jumped on the fumble and it was like a really (laughs) athletic play. I remember watching that. I was like, oh, that guy Oregon got. Uh, It was was just a weird memory that was tucked away in the folds of my brain. Anyway, um, (laughs) uh, uh, so. uh, yeah, sort of like used as a possession receiver. It's not like he doesn't have hands. So, you know, and then they got him. And then they also got another like non-scholarship tight end from Colorado, Caden Ludwig. So like how grabby they were. Get- oh, and then a couple other things. They got a true freshman, Kenyon Sidik. I already mentioned him. And then mm-hmm. one of their defensive linemen, Mateo Uyangalele. That's right. Who I, I definitely think should be playing on the edge on the defense. But like during the spring game, they were like, hey, let's see you play some tight end. It's like they've mm. been so grabby at tight end. It makes me think like, oh, uh, there might be a problem with Ferguson. You I know what it. I mean? Like, I, that's just like some tea leaf reading. Like, don't, you know, it's not like I'm diagnosing him or anything. Uh, I'm just saying that like, the, yeah, the, the, the level of grabbiness here is sort of a little concerning that maybe he's not ready to go. But if he is like, oh, no, no this is all just fine. Or if Patrick Herbert really steps up or something. Like yeah, that, right. Which, yeah. Another, yeah. yeah. I mean, he was a four star, right? You know, like points Mario Cristobal was saying like Justin Herbert better look out because the better athlete is his younger brother. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That There was so much hype around Patrick Herbert. People were wanting just them that he to was play hurt, together. Yeah. And then yes. he yeah, he was hurt, and then he missed some developmental time. But like, it's entirely possible that he steps up too. So, like, yeah, could easily be a, a huge fan favorite. But there is, I the, the other thing, I just last thing, I think Sadiq's going to be pretty good. But he's like, last time I checked in on his weight, it was two hundred and twenty pounds, which is just a little too light. So mm-hmm. I think part of this grabbiness has been uh, for like more, you know, bulking up this room, even though you know, it's an 11 personnel offense has been like, maybe they want to redshirt. Like ideally they want a redshirt Sadiq to like, to let him bulk up a, a little bit more. Honestly, I would be pretty down with Tayo Uyagalele. I wouldn't. I believe his nickname is young concrete. I think I heard that somewhere and mm-hmm. I'm down with him doing a DJ Johnson, just doing both, put them out there. Nope. Not all the DJ Johnson. Right, the but... ages, the age of two way players is over. <laughs> but I want the gimmick. Unlimited substitution has been the rule for the better part of 70 years. So, Well, I'll tell you what. I've been doing some uh, research in our Quack in Time series, and I heard uh, – so back in the day, it was a common strategy to get your second string, right? You mm-hmm. start off first half all second string. 
And so those guys, they're just the pawns, you know, taking all the bluff. And then late, later. Sweet chess reference, dude. Then you do it. Yeah. First. Then you do your first string, second half. Hmm. They're all fresh. They're very fresh. They're they fresh. Played a single mm-hmm. game. Yeah. So let's think that over. Okay. So now. No, I'm not we- because you have unlimited <laughs> substitution now. All right. Well, whatever. I, I would love some old timey techniques here. Now, one thing that I've been secretly excited about as we've talked to all these other losers in the Pac-12, the bottom 11, it always kind of comes down to like, okay, you got one guy that's tall. You got one tall, you know, he's a freshman. All your hopes rely on this guy. I like a lot of the height. I like a lot of the talent of this receiving core. I mean, Troy Franklin, first of all, has been... I mean, he's Troy Franklin. He's the number one. He's got his job. He's been has such a good connection with Bo Nix, clearly. Chris Hudson is a little bit shorter, but also has been playing a little bit more wide out, I yeah, believe, right? Right. Chris Hudson is the key to understanding sort of this whole room, like the puzzle to mm. this whole room. So, like, you're right. Troy Franklin is great. He's the, you know, the leading receiver by a wide margin. He had 61 catches last year. He's the, you know, he, he has his job locked down they need two outside receivers right and kind of the thing is you know so who's going to be the other one and dante thornton hit the the transfer portal you know if he didn't it was going to be him yeah or maybe who, who i just saw an article uh i forget dante thornton went to tennessee and i just saw an article that said like the best kept secret in the sec could it be dante thornton i was like holy mm-hmm. shit when you put it that way but no, Anyways, and, and a couple other tall guys, you know, left too. Uh, you know, Isaiah mm-hmm. Crocker and Isaiah Brevard and uh, Caleb Chapman, who are, I don't think he ever got healthy. Sadly, uh, was, yeah. you know, they kind of took a flyer on him and and just unfortunately never got healthy. It was like the only transfer that that you know Dan, Dan Laney took. I think nine transfers last year, and every one of them was essentially a starter for them, except Caleb Chapman, who's like the one guy that they took a flyer on and didn't work out. It was like, a, what a great batting average. Anyway, so yeah, the the other. Uh, outside receiver will either be a freshman and they have some good looking options but they're Mm -hmm. young right so options are well in no particular order jurian dickey who's the five star who comes in in the fall we haven't seen him yet because he he wasn't in in the spring game but like Mm -hmm. oh my god like his talent is just off the charts okay and it seems like a spot that you could potentially, if you've got that elite talent and you got Troy Franklin, you know, on the other side, it seems like a spot where a five. Yeah, could very no, well. wide, wide, wide receiver, especially, you know, super high talent wide receivers mm-hmm. are one of the positions where I have like no compunction about playing true freshmen, like other mm-hmm. positions like like offensive line and cornerback. I'm like, uh, you need to take some time, but like wide receiver. No, no, no. No, no, play play that guy. It's just we've never seen him. Like, we didn't even see him in the spring game. So it's like, mm-hmm. other options. Kyler Casper, who's really tall, 6'6". Uh, <laughs> he redshirted last year. Uh, Justice Lowe, he also redshirted last year. And uh, Ashton Cozart, he's the other true freshman. Uh, he also, you know, four-star, 6'3", you know, big guy. So that those are four tall uh, freshmen. Haven't seen them. You know, because it's two true freshmen and two redshirt freshmen who didn't play last year, any of whom could step up and be, you know, the dude. But we haven't seen him before. But here's the thing. Chris Hudson exists. He's 5'11", frankly, from watching his film for like four years because he's a 2020 guy. Mm. I think he plays better out of the slot. But 
Oregon has been playing him at outside receiver a lot over the years. He's perfectly capable of playing outside receiver. He was Oregon's second leading receiver last year. He played on the outside a lot last year. He was perfectly capable of catching passes from Bo Nix playing off out of the outside. So if none of those four freshmen are like basically Chris Hudson is your your line, your 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 Mendoza line, you know, like if none of these guys is better than Chris Hudson, then they just put in Chris Hudson uh, to, to be your outside receiver. I think they probably will be or they'll find somebody who is because like that's, you know, with four guys of that talent level, they'll find somebody. But if they don't, Chris Hudson's a great option mm-hmm. to have. And the, the thing is, by moving Chris Hudson from the inside to the outside to do that they don't hurt themselves at inside receiver yes. because they've got really great inside receiver options. They don't have to use Chris Hudson at the inside receiver because mm-hmm. they went and got themselves some really great inside receiver options. They only have one returner besides Chris Hudson on the inside. That's Josh Delgado, who's missed two straight years now with injury. I'm actually kind of surprised he didn't transfer out. He's like the only guy on the team <laughs> to like fits that missed a bunch of time hasn't played but they like he hasn't transferred out it's like literally there's only one and it's josh delgado um sort of like maybe there's something going on here you know they know something about josh delgado that i don't anyway he was still injured in the spring game so i still haven't seen him so like that's interesting but they brought in three portal guys one of them we talked about in the intro uh treshawn holden he's not really Mm -hmm. a like he's not a small slot burner guy he's a like a wire he's like six three he's like a possession receiver he's super tough like you know i wrote up his film he's like super duper tough like you know he catches a pass and then gets lit up um but he holds on to the ball and the other thing like chris hudson alabama was also using him in the outside you know from time to time so like hey in a pinch you know the other two guys that they got who are inside guys are tez johnson yes who's you know just a total speedy dude i wrote him up in the same article that i wrote up with uh, with uh, uh treshawn holden um super incredible acceleration pro football focus college rated him as the second most valuable wide receiver in all of college football last year behind only marvin harrison jr for ohio state like that valuable he's his film was just like incredible Mm-hmm. And interestingly, he is Bo Nix's adoptive brother. Um, they yes. were team teammates um, in uh, Pinson, Alabama, and uh, the coach is Nix's uh, biological father, and he just adopted Tez Johnson. Hmm. So they're brothers, which is cool. And I did like the storyline. I think this is, they said this during the spring game or something. Is that Bo Nix went around talking to his receiving core, being like, kind of like, I don't know about getting permission or anything like that, but kind of getting the okay of like, what do you think? Like this test, we want to bring. And I, 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 it's just another one of those stories you hear about Bo Nix where you're just like, this is a very easy college quarterback to root for, you know, especially been around the block. And then they also went and got after the spring game. So we didn't get to see him yet. And Mm -hmm. I haven't reviewed his film yet, but I will shortly. Gary Bryant from USC. He was a 2020 recruit. He only played a little bit in 2020. He had a excellent 2021. But remember, USC had that like garbage 2020. That was the year that they fired Clay Helton like right after they lost to Stanford in week two. So like nobody was watching USC at all because they went four and eight and everybody was like laughing at him but like gary bryant was lighting the world on fire it's just like nobody was watching it uh, at all (laughs) so then in 2022 
he plays like two games just to sort of like show everybody like, hey, everything is working with me. There's nothing wrong with me or, or anything, but I'm preserving my red shirt and shutting it down. And, you know, so, yeah, that's why he didn't play in 2022. So and then, you know, immediately hit the portal. And so Oregon picked him up in the structure of Will Stein's offense. They only are going to put one slot receiver on the field at a time, I think. So I, I don't think that Johnson and Bryant are going to be on the field at the same time. Mm hmm. I don't know. Maybe they will. Or I guess, he, you know, he. I did just spend a bunch of time talking about how flexible Stein was. Yeah, so maybe I'd like to see um, it. I mean, but like, damn, that should be a hell of a fall camp battle or they can just rotate him. Just be like, hey, yeah. Tess Johnson, you know, run 80 yards. Hey, Gary Bryant, you know, go, go get Gatorade. You know, now Gary Bryant, you go run 80 yards, you know, like they just like platoon them. That'd be cool. So anyway, my point is that like they could those two guys are proven awesome commodities and that they could use Chris Hudson is sort of I'm not saying he's the odd man out. He's just like the third man in that rotation. But they could move him to the outside if none of the freshmen are popping, which I don't think is I, I would rate that as low odds. But even if that happens, they can move Hudson to the outside and not lose anything on the inside because they got two good slot receivers and an inside, you know, Y receiver for a different you know, different mm -hmm. inside, you know, receiver person in, in Holden. This is what's called good roster management. You give yourself multiple high talent options, you know, so that things could go wrong. You know, your A plan might not work out or even your B plan might not work out. Your C plan is still better than everybody else's A plan because you manage your roster really, really well. So like this sort of array of options Adam, come on. You were on the podcast for the 11 other podcasts that we did. <laughs> did you encounter anybody else who had like these layers of options no. where even if you have to do this, it doesn't screw you in this other way? Certainly not at this position and rarely at any position, quite yeah. frankly. I mean, it's yeah, this is what's called good roster management. And we will need good roster management, especially at this most crucial next position, because, I mean, even when you're managing a roster well, eventually there's going to come that point when a bunch of your most talented starters go, hopefully, to the NFL or such. And that is what happened here. TJ Bass went to the Cowboys. Alec Forsyth, the Broncos. Malasala Mavilalu, he went to the Ravens. And, and everyone had a good time. I mean, we lost a lot, obviously, because we had a veteran yep. offensive line. Uh, Ryan Walk, Dawson Jaramillo, uh, Bram Walden. So this was a huge question. And as you've said, and actually in, in some other rosters we've had, is kind of something that goes under the radar sometimes when you have, you know, running backs in Oregon's history just tallying up, eating up so many yardage, and you do have, like, lower rank back in the day, lower ranked um, offensive linemen that people kind of just, you know, you're, focused, you're looking at the Michael James and not really appreciating that the Oregon Ducks have had a really good run of offensive line play and it's really yeah. you know what has separated us or like kept us in the upper half or most of the time at the very top of the Pac-12 yeah and so this it's a big question obviously now we still have there's clearly 
uh, remnants of really well thought out, really well managed roster here because we still have some people ready to step in that I'm excited to see. I mean, Josh Connerly is is especially one that it feels like you can really circle him and it's like he seems like he's got a, an absolute starting job. Uh, Jackson Powers Johnson appears to be our center, I would imagine so, uh, starting center. And then due to some injuries that you were, you know, uh, evident in the spring game that have been talked about in spring practice things have been a little mixed up we are you know rotating through a lot of the guards seeing who's going to land there is there's still quite a bit of veteran uh lime i mean freaking stephen jones still here right that's amazing uh yeah, I, I love seeing him still on the roster. But, yeah, I was hoping you could uh, just really help us break down this most crucial, some would say, part of the game. Uh, yeah, well, first of all, I want to endorse everything you said about the, you know, the quality of the offensive line being essential to Oregon, like even well before Oregon was the most talented team in the Pac-12, you know, for the last 20 years, Oregon has been, you know, in the top half or on the top of, you know, the, of this conference. And the reason has been that, you know, the thing that's differentiated Oregon from the rest of this conference is, you know, has been their offensive line play. You know, it's really has been the difference and like, yeah, man, you know, exciting offenses and, 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 you know, Nick Aliotti's, you know, ball hawking defenses yet in, and Hey, the uniforms <laughs> and, and, and Austin stadium is really raucous and, and does, you know, provide an advantage and look, man, there, there are advantages that Oregon has and they're there that are really cool, but that, you know, what I trace it to, you know, that the thing that differentiates Oregon from the rest of the pac 12 and always has over this run for, you know, since, you know, Akili Smith has been the offensive line, you know, that's the differentiator of the rest of the conference. And so it's the thing that I like, I freak out about, like, I, I, you know, I worry about. So, and I also agree with you that like, yeah, good roster management here because, you know, you can lose effectively for starters and still have four guys who have a bunch of starting experience ready to step in so that it's sort of like, there's a lot of continuity that'll happen so that it's, it's not like you're, you're not starting from scratch. You, you know, you're not even you know, coming close to starting from scratch. Pretty amazing, too. I mean, this is, I guess, on Cristobal as well, but, like, since Alik Terry was here, he was working with, you know, a veteran offensive line group, and we are, you know, years removed from that, and and yeah. coming off to, and so things seem to be going well. <laughs> so, the, the three guys who are in the NFL now, uh, TJ Bass, uh, Alex Forsyth, Malsola Umvaila Ulu, who are the left tackle, center, and right tackle, respectively. Those guys are, you know, un un unquestionably starters. They they started every snap, uh, or you know, played every meaningful snap, with the exception of Forsyth, who got a little banged up towards the end of the year. Mm -hmm. However, at the guard positions, they were doing a four man rotation, which is interesting. They were actually doing start. They they had been doing rotation based system, a dry planned drive-by-drive rotation-based system since 2020. So like th for the last three years, they've been doing it. So that, and, and that means like two different offensive line coaches, right? Mirabal and Clem. Mm -hmm. And I didn't think Clem would do it. Actually, if you go back and read my 2022 article, I was like, oh no, Clem's a traditionalist. He's just going to have five guys starting. He's not going to do this rotation stuff. And like, 
but then he did. I mean, he did a milder version of it, you know, in that he was just doing the guards, but he still did it. Because you t- were on record talking or just very fascinated of just like, what is this Christopher Paul's philosophy of just every every few times everyone is kind of changing different positions, yeah. getting all the uh, it was well, it I was uh, it, yeah. I understood it for the COVID year because, like, if you recall, th- that was sort of a double whammy for 2020 because at the end of 20 because 2019 was the Rose Bowl year. And that was the year when all of those, it was those um, like five Helfrich guys, you know, Throckmorton and, and, you know, that crew who like, those were like four year starters. And like, that was their culmination, you know, was that Rose Bowl. So then they all left, right? A- along with Panay Sewell, who's sort of the, the kid of that group. Mm-hmm. So then 2020, it was like all new dudes. And then also COVID happened. And so, you know, it was you know, like we need to throw in a bunch of guys here and we may lose them at any moment because of for COVID reasons, right? Like a guy may may have to be held out for COVID reasons. So it's like, we need to cross train everybody. We need to have them all be, you know, playable. We can't just do the, you know, that we have five starters and we just hope no one ever gets injured because we could lose any of them at a moment's notice because somebody, you know, coughs. So like I, I got that in 2020, but then they kept doing it in 2021. And then they got, you know, and then that staff left at the end of 2021. They brought in Adrian Clem, and I was like, okay, the rotations are over. They're just going to go with the same five starters. But then the rotations continue, but just a guard. You know, the 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 two tackles in the center, you know, were traditional. You know, it was the same starters every snap, but the guards rotated. And it wasn't just, you know, two different left guards rotating every time and two different right guards rotating every time. No, it was Ryan walk would come in at left guard and then he would rotate with Marcus Harper at left guard and then walk would go over and rotate at right guard. And there were three different guys then who would play right guard. It would be walk and it would be Jackson powers Johnson and it would be Steven Jones. So that means, you know, walk is gone. He graduated. I, I think he got like a mini camp with the Jaguars or something, but I don't think any of you picked him up, unfortunately. Hmm. But it means that Marcus Harper and Jackson Powers Johnson and Stephen Jones all have a ton of like real experience. You know, they, yes. they each of those guys have at least, I think, 200 snaps last year, which is like for real. Like that's nothing to sneeze at. Yeah. So, yeah like that's that's substantial like and and like meaningful like like for real going up against for real teams like that's not you know not like clean up garbage time like for real you know reps they beat ohio state a couple of them yes uh that's that's true stephen jones did so yeah and then josh connerly's the five star josh connerly was he was used as like the sixth man in some of those like eye formation stuff that's right he he came in and played backup you know during garbage time at points i he, forget did uh, he get a touchdown or did he also got him? a touchdown they put yes. him in, in an eligible jersey and he caught a touchdown <laughs> forgot about that he's a five-star he's so talented like all of the reports and in the spring game he was playing left tackle with the one so like i think he's got you know his spot locked down i think that jackson powers johnson is supposed to be playing center so he's going to play center the other positions are a little up in the air but it's not difficult to read the tea leaves i think if marcus Mm -hmm. harper is healthy he's got the left guard position but he's been injured for all of uh spring so we're just gonna have to wait and see about that one so you know for the other guard position so you've got Harper, 
you've got Steven Jones at guard, although I think he's built as a tackle. So like he could be guard or tackle. I think they're looking for a better option than Jones, though, because of all the guys, he has the lowest grades on my tally sheet. So uh, Jones, I think, is a backup. Uh, I think I think they would like him to be a backup. I think they would like to have a better guy than Jones. But the thing to remember about him as as a backup is that he could back up either guard or tackle. So Mm -hmm. that's nice. That's some good versatility. Thanks, Cristobal. Right. So they uh, they brought in some other dudes. They brought in Junior Angelau, who's a guard from Texas. Unfortunately, he has been injured. He like his film's really good. But the last film I got to watch from him was 2021. Mm-hmm. He missed 2022 with an injury and he's been injured during spring practice. I don't know if it's the same injury or not. But anyway, they also brought in Nishad Strother, who's a multiple year starter at East Carolina. I haven't had a chance to watch his film yet. That's another July project. But like he, you know, pro football focus really loved him. So like that's multiple different options at guard, right? You have Harper and Angelau and Strother and Jones. And I think if they really had to reach, they could play Dave Uli, who's the um, <laughs> the, the red shirt freshman four star um, from from the last cycle that's right and i think he wears joker makeup during the game if i remember correctly uh, hmm. so that's that's the guard situation they've you know they got plenty of depth there you know a bunch of guys are four stars there's a bunch of playing experience right you know because harper and angelau and jones and struther are all experienced guys and even yuli got some backup minutes last year so like yeah ton of experience guard and then at tackle for the, the the right tackle spot, they the options are a Johnny Cornelius, who was the starter uh, for the last couple of years at an FCF school of all places, Rhode Island. But like he was the most valuable um, tackle transfers, like his grades are through the charts. Everybody loves him. I haven't been able to watch his film because it's FCS films. I just wasn't able to get a hold of it but apparently they really like him i i just penciling him in is i think the 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 winner but they have some other options they have a juco is a four-star juco i think he was the sixth ranked like offensive line juco in the class it's like six eight he's huge george silva is his name Uh, i think that's the you know the the primary competition like it's cornelius or silva as i think is going to be the starter at right tackle and that'll just be a battle fall camp like i said i think that stephen jones could back them up if need be and then i think the other backup option is faope uh laulu who's um don't get him mixed up with his younger brother who is uh uh, who is a recruit in the 2023 class he's Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, a shorter guy he plays guard anyway uh ope is interesting because he came in at like 400 pounds in, in the 2020 class uh that was like definitely a crystal <laughs> ball project kind of guy but he slimmed down to 330 which is like actually amazing like that's, that is amazing like he lost a person <laughs> like <laughs> anyway like he actually looked like yeah, he could play tackle um in the spring game. Like in fact, he was. He was playing left tackle with the yellow team. So like, yeah, so I think they're they run four deep at, at well, I think they run five deep at, at at tackle between Connerly, Cornelius, Silva, Jones, and Faupe Laulu. So yeah, that's plenty of depth Ooh. of which you know, one is a five star Cornelius and Silva should be in a battle for right tackle and then two guys who can back them up. So, yeah, that's that's how I think, you know, the line looks, which is pretty good, you know, considering that they're losing four guys off a very good line. You know, there there will probably be a step back. You know, how could there not be? It was a very good line. They're losing four starters off of it, but they're actually all things considered in pretty good shape 
you know, you know, like I said, a five star good depth options everywhere. Like they, there shouldn't, you know, shouldn't be any real problem with depth at all. Uh, you know, I think they have, they'll have 10 playable guys, which is how many you need. And, and most of the, almost all of them, with the exception of uh, Iuli and, and Laulu, who, who are like, they'd really have to reach to be playing those guys. Every one of them has playing experience, right? You know, Connerly, Harper, Powers, Johnson, and Jones were all on the field for Oregon in 2022 in substantial, you know, minutes. And Angelau, Cornelius, Struther, and Silva were all starters for their previous teams yeah if we were talking to another most other pac-12 teams it would be something like well you know steven jones he'll be the keystone and we're just we're hoping to find four other guys uh yeah right you know maybe if he adds 40 pounds we think we heard he can snap the ball he did it in high school kind of stuff like that yeah, right. Couldn't be more excited. Well, yeah, we're also talking right. about a bunch of talent here, too. Like Connor yes. Lee is a five star. Powers Johnson mm-hmm. was, you know, 0.92. Angelau is a 0.94. Cornelius is rated as a 0.92 transfer value. Stephen Jones is a 0.91. Uh, Silva was rated as a 0.8953 as a Juco. Yuli was a 0.92. You know, like we're talking about blue chips up and down this line. Yeah. Nobody else in the Pac-12 has blue chips. Well, that's okay. Washington <laughs> has some blue chips, but nobody but Oregon and Washington has blue chips on their lines. Oh, there's another thing we should talk about, which is I have been on record, you know, you know, because you've been on all, the, all these other podcasts about being it's skeptical true. about portal-based offensive lines, and I still yes. am. And what's good for the goose is good for the gander. I am concerned that Oregon looks like they will probably be playing at least one, maybe two portal-based offensive linemen here. I will say, though, number one, I'm happy that it's not going to be three. I really, it looks like the, mm-hmm. the real danger threshold is three. Two, I think they could get away with, and I'd really like it if it were one. And the other thing is that they they arrived early. You know, Angelau, mm. Cornelius, and Silva were all early enrollees. Um, you know, the, this isn't like one of these situations where the guy shows up in fall camp and is like, we'll just slap him in. Mm-hmm. I like that. And there are, um, you know, people that have been on the team, some of them for a long time, who would be able, if, to say, if the chemistry isn't there or whatever, would potentially be able to step in in those roles as opposed to like, well, there's only a freshman who's underweight behind him. So we're going to really hope this works out. So like compare this, for example, to like what UCLA's offensive line situation is where, you know, just to draw some contrasts where they lose, you know, three guys, uh, several of which go to the NFL, right? Number one, all Chip Kelly does is get three transfer guys and that's it. Like that's all he does. Those three guys are just going to be the starters. He's just going to plug them right in. None of them are four stars. You know, it's a it's a two star and two low three stars. They played poorly at their previous schools. He has like no development of the other guys and the other guys who had in the room uh, didn't play at all in, in the 2022 cycle. So they have no experience and there there's no credibility. If somebody gets hurt, like none of them are backups. Like they're not like trained up in order to be able to play, you know? So like everything that I just listed as sort of like, yeah, I'm concerned about portal based offensive linemen, but at least four of the guys that they're, you know, likely to play, you know, had extensive starting experience last year and they're all blue chips and they came in early and like they have extensive starting experience at their previous school. Like, you know, you know, none of these things are the case, you know, at UCLA. So like if anybody's like, 
you know, got their, hey, Hitler Day is a hypocrite, you know, for criticizing UCLA, but not Oregon, like, nah, man, there's a difference here. There's a pretty substantial difference. You know, Oregon managed this pretty well. Other schools don't. You don't get it, Hithley. It's pretty hard to recruit to a small hodunk town like L.A. Like going Westwood, to a, yeah, right. yeah, a small hodunk conference like the Big Ten. It's it's tough to convince people. Well, first of all, before we leave the offense here, I should say we talked enough about it. I had a, a second here. Go over to the Quack 12 podcast over on Twitter. I have um, t- actually just straight up retweeted your OC Will Stein duct tape. So you can find that there. But also, of course, you will be able to find this in the uh, duck dive coming up. Uh, the, the roster review over on Addicted to Quack. Uh, there will be plenty of links f- to a lot of what we've talked about. Now, Hithliday, the defense was the was the harder part to watch, certainly, last season, especially when you're comparing it to how much success, how uh, kind of reliable the offense was. The defense had moments of greatness, had moments of just complete collapse, and some of those collapses led to comeback victories to other teams, from other teams, or just complete embarrassment to the national champion, which means absolutely nothing now, especially when you yeah. see how they became the national champion, which was wonderful that it was yeah. a bigger margin, you know? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> it made me feel good. <laughs> you know, the the thing is, like, I, you know, I, I did hear a lot of Oregon fans who were like, oh my God, this was the worst defense of, you know, all time. It's like, it, I understand feeling that way because, well, number one, it was definitely worse than the offense. And number two, it definitely underperformed the, the talent level in terms of talent this was about the 20th most talented offense or defense in the country and it finished in f plus at the 51st rank and i think so much of the conversation being about two five-star linebackers that were going to rip that had you know that may it may have been a uh you know maybe they were misplaced or something in there but watching it in real time you're like are our five stars broken what's going on and i i think i do think that added to the feelings of it at least and it's definitely the case you know they 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 got smashed at the beginning of the year and then like yeah like that loss to oregon state you know where the defense just like took a nap at the end of the game you know was like oh my god i will say this it was interesting because i was you know every week i would look up the f plus rankings it was like kind of a roller coaster in a way that like the offensive ranking wasn't like even though those things happened to the offense too right like Mm -hmm. like oregon got pasted by georgia and only put up three points they still finished at the end of week one they were still ranked a top 10 offense in f plus and then when Bo Nix got hurt and then the next week they only put up 20 points against Utah and like thought yeah. that, you know, and then for the basically the rest of the year, the rushing output was lower than it had been for the rest of the year for reasons that I talked about at the top of the podcast, because like, you know, teams, you know, d- didn't take quarterback run seriously. They still remained a top 10 offense the entire year, like Oregon didn't budge out of the top 10 in terms of their offense and they finished ranked number six in f plus for the offense the defense on the other hand was a real roller coaster after they got shellacked by georgia they dropped down to the 70s in f plus but then and like they sort of stayed in the 70s you know through that wazoo game you know where like they gave up like 41 points but 
you know, if you recall in the middle of the year, they had, you know, they played BYU and they played Arizona and they played UCLA, all of which were like, they were top 25 offenses at the time. And they finished, I believe top 25 offenses hmm. and Oregon contained them pretty well. Um, they held all of those teams to under their season long scoring average. You know, Oregon actually had pretty good defensive performances against all three of those teams. And if you watch their week by week F plus ranking, Oregon actually fit were was at the in the low 40s. They were at one point, I think, the 41 ranked defense. And I was like, OK, I like this trajectory. You know, this is like they got shellacked by Georgia, but like, OK, they're climbing back up. And I was sort of projecting that they were going to sort of finish in the 30s. But then, you know, Washington went through them like a buzzsaw. Uh, mm -hmm. And then the Oregon State game happened. And that's what dropped them back down to 51. And that's what I think in a lot of fans minds, you know, it's like if you if you like I think a lot of fans sort of like if you underperform and it you get a real gut punch it feels like you're the worst thing you know that feels like the worst thing in the world and I understand that but like I'm an analyst I, you know I don't, I don't get to do hyperbole I, I I get to say like 51 is is actually given that there are 130 teams in the FBS is an above average defense mm -hmm. you know, 65 is an average defense and actually if you rank them in the pac 12 oregon had the fourth best defense in the pac 12 now is that as good as they should be no uh you know that given what their talent was they should have been much better but like giving what you would assume you know dan lanning obviously yeah exactly as, yeah the other thing that I will say, you know, we're going to talk about the personnel in a second. And the, yeah, I, I already mentioned they, they made one coaching change. I don't, I don't really think the coaching change matters. Like, I, I think that Powell is a fine coach. I think that Hampton is a fine coach. And I don't think the way I don't really think that the, the way the safeties were coached was relevant to that performance. I sort of think the safety personnel was relevant, but that's. That's the that's the players, not the way they were coached. I wasn't seeing like technique, like oh, you guys are running in the wrong direction kind of stuff, <laughs> which I do uh, like I identify with other coaches like Alex Grinch, for example, coaches his safeties terribly. Um, <laughs> I think USC could instantly improve their defensive performance simply by getting a better safeties coach. I don't think that's going to happen or could happen with Oregon because I, I just don't think that the safeties coaching was that was Oregon's issue last year. Anyway, the I will say sort of structurally what i did notice is that they were implementing a new system the mint defensive structure is different from tim deruder's defensive structure even though it's sort of a lot of the sort of personnel maps onto the positions in similar ways like it's not like going from like a four down it's not like going from like a four three to to the mint structure where it's like wait a minute these guys aren't the same with the body types we need or, or you know it's not like crazy or anything like that but i will say this particularly the way that they play the run in the pass crystal balls particularly like the linebackers it was just a and some of the defensive linemen uh particularly the edges were just for a different type of system that had different type of priorities like i don't even really mean to dump on those linebackers like i think that noah sewell and even justin flow and keith brown and some of the other yeah. like linebackers are good linebackers in a different system it's just the the mint defensive system doesn't 
isn't looking for that type of body type for linebackers. They're looking for guys who play the pass first and foremost. And like I've now written a couple of different articles about the mint defensive structure, and I've talked about it on this podcast. I'll, I'll try to do it briefly here, you know, just to recapitulate. It's like first and foremost, they want to stop the pass. And so the first thing the linebackers do is they just drop back in passing coverage. And the kind of guys that they want are are past defenders. They're sort of built like, I mean, hell, you could think of this defense as sort of like having seven or eight defensive backs and you just mm. call a couple of them linebackers. And the Cristobal guys, and I'm, I'm not saying they're bad because they were Cristobal guys. I know there are some Oregon fans who are like inclined to that <laughs> mindset. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying it was a different defense. And the, the Cristobal and, and the defensive coordinators who he had hired were sort of more traditional where it's like the job of the, the, the linebackers in that structure was to stop the run. Because like that's what they do in like nine out of ten defensive structures is like go up and stuff the run. And they're like guys who play with neck rolls, right? Because like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, go, go stuff the run. And that's not how the mint defense works. It's sort of they, they want to spill the run, you know, out to the outside. You know, the, basically what you need is big defensive linemen, mm -hmm. but only a couple of them. You only put like three defensive linemen up there, but then they plug up those B gaps and you have a big nose tackle who's getting both of the A gaps. And so you, you, you're clogging up those interior lanes. So the running back is like, oh, shoot, I can't get through here. I better bounce outside. Right. And so that creates enough time for the linebackers who remember have all dropped back into pass coverage to be like, oh, this really is a run play. OK, well, I better come down on that uh, on that running back who's spilled outside. It's called a spill and kill philosophy. You spill him outside and then mm -hmm. you calm down to kill him rather than just stuff him. Right. Just run up the middle and stuff that guy. Because the base certainly sounds like it could be a, a little more effective against like, you know, the modern, well, modern college football, but like Pac-12 also, who's like not looking to run you over. Right, exactly. The pass can, can hurt you more than the run. What I can definitely say, and look, I'm I'm not in a position to say whether or not they're they're right to do this or not, but they the way that Oregon's coaching I can divine uh, I can divine from their roster management moves that they have made this offseason that they looked at coming in 51st in F plus defensive ranking and they their reaction was not to say, oh, no, we made a mistake. We need to hit reverse. We need to go back and become more traditional of a defensive structure. They said we didn't go far enough. We didn't have the, you know, the right guys for our system, which look, um, no, I know that every coaching staff says that, but like these guys, I mean, that's effectively what they're saying. Like, they're not going to say that out loud because that's a sort of unprofessional thing to say about your own players. But like, I can detect that's what they're thinking about the the guys that they inherited and then basically processed out this year and got new players. It was the, like, we want different guys for this system. And so basically, rather than hitting the reverse, you know, they hit the accelerator and they're like, oh, it's full speed ahead. So they're, you know, they're either going to soar off this cliff or they're going <laughs> to crash <laughs> to the bottom of it. Or Oregon State will run through them. Like, right, exactly. But I mean, yeah, up front is really, that's the thing is what you have to do, what you're betting on is that you're defensive line is capable of stopping the run without linebacker assistance or at least spilling the run without linebacker immediate linebacker assistance on their own and so when i started to detect a lot of those linebacker moves like moving jamal hill from nickel to safety yes. or to nickel to linebacker 
mm-hmm. and getting guys like Justin Jacobs, who's like six, four and built like a nickelback to be your inside linebacker. And some of the other moves we'll talk about when we get to some of these personnel things and I'm and, and the linebackers that they lost and the linebackers that they brought in and some of the moves that they made at safety and some other positions that we're going to talk about. When I detected that they just mintified more their defense, you know, I was like, okay, you're, you're doubling down on this. Stop the pass, stop the pass, stop the pass thing. But what you need in order to do to make all that work is you need to trust your be be able to trust your defensive line all on their own without any help to stop the run. But with just like three guys Mm -hmm. or at least to spill the run, because if you can't and running backs can just get like six yards of carry before the linebackers can come down to help, then you get screwed. Right. Like that's what Washington Mm -hmm. Remember like Washington or Kwiatkowski where they were like, they weren't even a mint defense. They were, you know, they weren't even spill and kill. They they were just like, we don't even care about the run at all. We're going to mm-hmm. back out the safeties a million miles deep and we just don't care about the run at all. And when they would play like, you know, eight, of their opponents in the pack 12 it you know that was fine because those teams had bad offensive <laughs> lines and they couldn't run but w- what would happen every year when they play stanford or oh, when they stanford, would play oregon yeah. or when they go and play a big bowl game mm-hmm. when a team could run they would just run all over them they would get like you know eight yards of carry and just yeah. crush them and that's why that team would finish stanford like, would like, practice in a park and then just come out yeah embarrass and would them, just yeah. like yeah, would humiliate them, right? And so, like, you can't be, a, you know, you can't be a team that just stops the pass and, and gives up six yards of carry on the run because you'll lose your big games that way. So, you know, that's where I'm going with this is that, like, okay, Oregon definitely did the let's stop the pass part of reconfiguring the defensive personnel. There's still a question mark, though, and it's they sort of double down on it, which is, okay, is the defensive line ready to stop the run all on their own? Oregon staff is signaling that they believe it is, but we'll find out. So we're not sure if it's better, but we can definitely be assured that it is mintier, is what you're saying. It's mintier. It's definitely mintier, man. This is the mintiest Oregon defense that's uh, yet. Now, there's only been two of them, but yeah. <laughs> so for all this to work, the one crucial part, one I mean, a, a cornerstone, a keystone is the perfect way to put this position. And it's the it's I'm sure our roster just makes Justin Wilcox's mouth water. I, mm. I, I Especially when we're talking about the nose tackles. Yeah, yeah no doubt. Any of these guys would be a starter for Wilcox. (laughs) Yeah. He's been thirsty for nose tackles for years. Yeah, no no nose tackle, definitely. So, yeah, Oregon, they lose one of them, uh, Jordan Riley, uh, who got drafted in the Mm -hmm. seventh round. But they bring back the other uh, guy who's in the primary rotation, Taki Taimani, um, who Mm -hmm. came from Washington, who's a four-star. They get back uh, Pupu Amavai. Uh, who's great man Um, he's been around for so damn long i know he came in in the 2017 class um yeah man he's uh yeah i I really like him he's you know he had great film in 2019 and 2021 his covid season was kind of meh but like a lot of guys covid season was meh like i don't know covid you know and then he missed 2022 with injury so like odd years are bad or even years are bad for him odd years are good for him 
him, well, this is an, an, uh, an odd year, so this will be great. So yeah, Taimani and Amavai ought to be the starters. And then they have Ben Roberts, uh, who was a four-star 2022 recruit. He, uh, he played in a few games last year. He'll, he should be back up. And then uh, they got a true freshman, Tavita Poma A, who's also like big enough to play nose. He was playing nose um, with the second line in the spring game. So the, you know, four guys deep and nose, that's definitely appropriate depth um, with two guys with starting experience um, and mm-hmm. a redshirt freshman. Like, yeah, good. That That's good. I, I got no problems there. Like, yeah. And like you said, Justin Wilcox is be drooling <laughs> over. This oh, group. my God. Which which I again, like if, if those if that weird Consano article, which is the only evidence of just like, yeah. oh, actually, Wilcox turned it down. I just I mm-hmm. so want to know these things, <laughs> uh, but I don't want to talk to uh, John Consano. Uh, I've turned him down. He's been asked to be on the podcast. I'm like, no, no, thank you. Now, for the rest, we're looking here. I know you've always been a fan of actually a Keon Ware Hudson. I feel like you've you've brought his name up over the years. Yeah, and he really finally got his chance to shine last year. So the other. I call them defensive tackles in this, although you could call them ends too. I, okay. I know other people have called them ends. Um, they would probably be more appropriate just to call them by their technique. Uh, they're four eyes in this position, meaning that it's a four technique, but then shaded to the inside shoulder. So four eye. So uh, uh, Oregon, uh, well, they basically return, you know, everybody, you know, who played this position last year. They, they lost Keanu Williams, who was sort of a tweener mm. for them. Um, he went down to UCLA and he's going to play in a system that's like it is sort of a better fit for his body type. So that's another one where that's like smart move for him. Frankly, he's probably going to be a starter in their system and he wouldn't have been for Oregon. So like good, 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 good job. But yeah, they bring back Keon Ware Hudson. I like him. He was a four star in the 2019 class. Uh, he was basically a starter, you know, last year. So like, you know, I, I'm looking forward to his, him, you know, really rounding into shape. This will be, uh, I think, uh, what year five for him, 2019, 2020, 21, 22, 23. Yeah. Year five. Um, and then the other guys, Casey Rogers, um, who was one of the two Nebraska guys. Uh, the other one was Jordan Riley. He went off to mm-hmm. the NFL, right. Um, who came in with coach Tuiati um, from Nebraska. Nebraska. You know, he was really great. He was the one who got all those tackles for lost against Utah because um, he right. read my my article about how predictable <laughs> Andy Ludwig is. Um, anyway, uh, yeah. So Rogers and Weir Hudson are both back, uh, you know, good for them. The interesting thing is for this position, those two guys are, are, are pretty much adequate, but their depth at the position, I think are all going to be true freshmen because like Williams and Suava Poti, you know, both transferred out, even though like neither of those guys are really like great for the position. The, the true freshmen are, I mean, just they're perfect you know for the for the position it's just they're true freshmen the the true freshmen are the guy that we saw in the spring game is mike hill gardner you know borderline four star six two two seventy five great frame um for this position (laughs) um okay so no hithliday likes gardner i've got that here yeah i also really like terrence green and the other two coming in the fall Terrence Green, I really like. I actually, for his frame, might be the best of all of them. It's just he's st- he's six five two sixty five. The last time I measured, he got measured, um, which is like means he still has a little bit of maybe growing to do. Like he might 
you know, that he probably is going to play the least just for some training table time. Although I don't know, maybe they measure him when he comes into <laughs> fall camp. And I, I don't know, like he's sort of, I has got the most question marks about him, but like maybe, <laughs> but like, Oh my God, his frame. Oh geez. I mean that, that, that dude's got an NFL, that dude, if he stays healthy and develops the way he's supposed to develop, that dude is a potential first round draft pick. All right. And then there's Amari Washington, who I really, who really does look ready to play right now. Like right now, I mean, like July 3rd, ready to play right now. <laughs> he doesn't come in until the fall, but he's 6'4", 295. And I mean, he could push Casey Rogers out of the way. And Casey Rogers is a returning starter. Like 6'4", 295. I mean, are you kidding me? Like, yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. I'm yeah. very excited. Um, yes. They're very exciting true freshmen. They're very exciting true. Like, like, uh, yeah. And they're perfect for four eyes. Like, yeah, they're not like, oh, this guy should really be playing in a different position, but they're really, you know, really talented guys that Oregon were able to get. And so they, they grabbed them and we'll figure out what to do with them later. No, 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 not even close. They are perfect frames for the four eye position for this defense. Like, yeah. Hmm. I'm excited. Okay. Yes. Not quite as excited as you sound, but that's good. you don't, um, you do not find <laughs> these types of bodies on West coast defensive lines. That's what I'm freaking true. out about. I've been doing true. this for a long time. I've been watching film on the pack 12 for a long time. I've been reviewing rosters for the, it is, this is like finding a unicorn. One of these guys would be like finding a unicorn to see them on a Pac-12 defensive line, and Oregon has three of them. It's like mm. I stumbled into a meadow, and there are three unicorns. <laughs> you not freaking out is the weird thing, Adam. <laughs> I love this. Well, another person that people seem to be hanging their name on this player, uh, certainly because he's you know a senior, but also because he's had some good campaigns recently, Brandon Dorless seems to be someone that a lot of people have put a lot of hopes on uh maybe maybe you know to add some pressure i you are very high on doorless as well yes yeah i love doorless i've loved him since he was a true freshman in 2019 yes you have i do remember talking to you yeah shocking yeah no he, he had like he was humiliating the like remington trophy winner in the rose bowl <laughs> from wisconsin as a true freshman because like they handed that thing out to he they handed that th that trophy out because he was a Wisconsin offensive lineman and Brandon Dorless, true freshman, mid three star from Florida who plays for the Oregon Ducks was just like putting him on his ass. Like, I mean, it wasn't even funny what Brandon Dorless was doing to him. The interesting thing is that as Brandon Dorless has gotten older for Oregon, he's been progressively moving outside. Like, you know, part of that has been the system change. He was originally playing more like a three tech. And the more and more he's played for Oregon, he's been moving more like wider and wider outside which is interesting because his body keeps getting bigger like he's at 290 mm -hmm. now and it's like crazy to see a 290 pound guy playing like five tech and in the spring game in the spring game this was crazy we were seeing him play wider than the five tech we were seeing him <laughs> play like stand up more like a seven which is like what's happening like this is a 290 pound dude who's standing up and playing seven like what anyway I really like Brandon Norris. He's super versatile, which is why like he's getting like like second round draft, you know, projections. I, I really like him. Very versatile. But uh, yeah, he 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 projects to play like the five tech, you know, not the four eye, the other end, you know, the the, the end on the other side of the nose. Mm -hmm. The the guy who's the 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 guy who's playing opposite of the weak side OLB. 
Okay. You know, that, that he, he's going to be your starter. And then I think the guy who's going to be behind him, and this is where you start, we're again, we're dipping into freshmen and why I said like, the question mark for this team is whether the the coaches are right or not about the defensive line being ready to stop runs on their own because you're it's it's not just about clogging up the B gaps it's also about setting the edge and stopping the run you know bouncing outside so mm-hmm. you know who does that that your five tech because he doesn't have any help like unless they're going to a heavy set and then you get a strong side OLB which I'll talk about in a second yeah so it's it's Dordalus but when Dordalus is getting Gatorade then the backup's probably going to be a true freshman and my you know because they don't really have anybody else uh I mean it might be Jake Shipley but he was injured in the spring game and uh, he's kind of a lower talent guy than anybody else kind of don't really know where he's going to play to be perfectly honest but I think it's going to be the true freshman Matayo Uyengvale um which is why it was young concrete when 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 you were like, I want to see him at tight end, I'm like, no, <laughs> no, I want to see him rotating with Brandon Dorless and getting lots of good reps and lots of good experience. Makes sense. Because like that dude's a five star or he's supposed to be a five star at the last second two for seven, like took him took a notch away, I think, because he like didn't go to a camp or something and they were mad at him. I don't know what it was. Who cares? Uh, he's a five star in my heart. Anyway, I really think that he's you know capable. Of, I mean, Brandon Dorless was was doing it as a true freshman. He was a mid three star from florida uyango lays a five star he's gonna do it too like uh, that's my projection yeah so like but it's a projection because he's a freshman well i'm predicting a sack from mateo to his older brother for the game winner just just shout that out i there. mean just that's gonna that be there. that's gonna be week 13 i don't know aiden childs might be starting at that point i'm I don't mm. know about DJ. Oh, that's right. We we have talked about that. Yeah, we uh, listen to our Oregon State roster review. If you mm. want to go a little e- deeper into that, well, you know, it'll be garbage time by then. So they're putting him out there. Talked about the strong side old outside linebacker, but I know it's it's a lot about different situations. What we're going to see these right. outside linebackers, what these defensive ends. So what yeah, the look like. uh, on every down. Well, okay, this is the pack. T- this is the Pac-12. Most downs they're going to be playing against are going to be 11 or 10 or 11 personnel. In other words, a lighter uh, offensive configuration. In a lighter offensive configuration, the mint defense responds by playing a nickel configuration. And the guy they take off the field in the nickel configuration is the strong side OLB to put in the nickel. So that means most snaps, the strong side OLB is off the field. On the other hand, they always have the weak side it will be on the field and your weak mm-hmm. side it will be is where your pass rush comes from in the structure of this defense so which is not to say that the weak side it will be is more important or anything there's no such thing as more or less important but he's just going to be on the field virtually every snap and he's going to be where your pass rush is coming from so like that's the guy who's going to get paid um by the nfl so to the extent that you look into a person's soul and assign him a dollar value i mean i guess this yes. is america this is America, baby. Let's talk about the weak side OLB. They brought in Jordan. Bur- they, they, everybody in the room is gone. They, everybody who might have been a weak side OLB, um, with the exception of uh, Marion Winston, who was a uh, true freshman last year who redshirted, who was a borderline four star, and I think is going to be the backup weak side OLB. But everyone else gone. DJ Johnson got drafted in the third round by the Panthers, and I think they really just took him for his physical upside because he's just a bulldozer. Yeah. But everybody else gone because basically they weren't um 
doing the job. Hmm. I mean, it sucks to say that, but like, it's true. So Braden Swinson transferred out. Anthony Jones transferred out. Jaden Everett transferred out. Jabril McNeil transferred out. Branson Buckner transferred out. Uh, Maciel Afiase uh, medically retired. Um, sad. But like, yeah, the entire outside linebacker room is gone. And these are many names that like a lot of Duck fans are probably somewhat familiar with, but not you, you certainly. But not from watching them the play because they didn't play. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So. You know, they couldn't, you know, like I said, DJ Johnson was a bulldozer and none of those guys, and that's about it. And none of those guys could beat out DJ Johnson. So that's true. Why they're true. in the situation that they're in. So, yeah, they brought in Jordan Birch from South Carolina. He was a five star mm-hmm. in the 2020 class. I reviewed all of his films. Actually, the first one that I wrote up because it was like Birch got to Birch got to do it. And that Birch is called quacking the roster edge transfer Jordan Burke. If yes. you're all looking that up. I, I recall a couple of years ago, you were the one who came up with the title crack quacking the roster. That's right. Sometimes all you got to do is just go, how can I force the word quack into this? And, and it all comes to you. So yeah, Jordan Birch um, is really good. He's excellent. He's not quite uh Kayvon Thibodeau. Like, I don't think he has that like super amazing first step. That's like, yeah. holy crap but in every other way yeah he's exactly what you want out of, uh, out of an edge rusher he's a really smart guy too that's another thing that i tried to put you know high uh, like i put a ton of film clips because he was the only guy in that article so like i just went mm. i put like eight film compilations in of this dude and like two of them were like look how smart this guy is is like if he overreacts to this they're screwed but he doesn't he diagnoses the play and drops to this right correct position and you know gets into the throwing lane so that somebody else makes the tackle so that the screenplay you know winds up losing yard and it's like yeah smart guy yeah, I really like Jordan Birch. I think Oregon fans are really going to like Jordan Birch. Does that mean that he's going to get a sack on every play? You know, no. But I definitely think that Oregon has upgraded their, you know, pass rush situation because he's supposed to be a pass rusher, you know, unlike the bulldozer uh, from Miami. <laughs> and I think that's what a lot of casual fans or even, you know, fans that are watching a little more astutely are were that was the clear thing of just like if only we had more pressure I, I mean I guess that's also just football in general pressure helps you win on defense but it, it felt a little lacking and I think a lot of people talked yeah and then but but again like with Dorless's backup who I think is going to be Uyunglele and then I think mm-hmm. behind Uyunglele at the five tech is probably going to be Johnny Bowens who's another okay who we saw in the spring game, you know, playing that position, who's another, you know, true freshman. I think, you know, behind Jordan Birch is going to be Marion Winston, you know, redshirt freshman who who redshirted, meaning, you know, we didn't really see him on the field. Who knows? And then I think behind Winston is probably going to be Jaden Moore, um, who did enroll early. Uh, he's, you know, again, a true freshman, but he enrolled early, but then he was injured. So we didn't get to see him in the spring game. So again, it's like it's Birch who's super experienced and then two freshmen behind him. Right. So, you know, uh, that's going to be a theme for all the edges. It's like super experienced starter. And then like freshman, freshman, freshman for depth, because that's what happens when you completely clear out your room. <laughs> so interesting. So this is the gamble you've been really uh, talking about over and over yeah. about the defense. Yeah, yes. the gamble is like, I, you know, the, the, the front line. Yeah, I believe in them, but you can't just play your front line the entire time. That's sort of the nature of defensive lines. You know, the gamble is like, what about these freshmen that are necessarily going to be in the rotation? You've recruited really well. 
But anytime you're putting freshmen in the lineup, you know, no matter how talented they are, and you they have redundancies too. They're not just relying on one guy. Like I said, it behind behind Dorless, it's not just Uyangalile, it's Bowens. And behind Birch, it's not just Winston, it's more. Like we said in the interior positions, like there's multiple backups, you know, the, the nose ran four deep. The four eyes ran five deep, right? It's not just one freshman that they're counting on. There's multiple ones, but they are freshmen, right? And so that's what I was saying at the top of the defensive section is that like, is your defensive line going to be ready to go? They're freshmen in the rotation. They're highly talented freshmen and you got a lot of them. So I like your odds, but it's still odds. It's not certainty. And for the uh, strong side, would you imagine Mace Funa yes, is going to be? Mace Funa yes. is still your guy. You know, he's he's great in the strong side linebacker role. It's just you have to understand that the strong side linebacker role in the structure of this defense is an edge setter. You know, his mm. his job's run containment. His job's to to knock down screen passes, which he does. You know, he kind of picks <laughs> six to, to seal the Wazoo game. You know, oh, but like, but it's it, he's not really the go after the quarterback guy. That's the weak side guy because of course that's the case when you're on the strong side you're you know tight ends are on your side right that's what strong means it's the strong mm-hmm. side of the offense because it's where the tight ends are lined up i think behind him is going to be tatum tuiati um if that name yeah. sounds familiar it should it's because he's the coach's kid the other coach's kid cole martin is one and tatum tuiati is the other he was playing in the spring game and like coaches kids usually do um he looked very technically sound and ahead of the curve and, and then i think you know one of the other uh true freshmen maybe porter or purchase is probably the other uh like the third backup uh, or the third guy second backup yeah and there's the yeah porter and purchase are the two other guys that i i i think i think porter might be another five tech and purchase might be another strong side it will be but i don't know porter could be another strong side it will be too i'm not sure but yeah i mean they they've got plenty of depth here you know and then there's jake shipley too so so like they have three positions and 11 scholarships that they're devoting meaning that meaning they have three guys almost four guys for each of their positions and considering it's really more like two and a half positions because the the strong side OLB is not on the field for a lot of mm-hmm. the time. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, that's a good amount of depth. It's just that, you know, six of them are true freshmen, albeit highly talented true freshmen. I mean, like the unit, the the 11 guys that I, you know, that we've run through, Jordan Birch, Marion Winston, Brandon Dorless, Uyengale, Funa, Tuyati, Shipley, Bowens, Porter, Purchase, and more. Like those 11 guys, they're average in the 247 composite is a uh, 0.9140 which is a four star getting close to be a mid four star like that's that's a very talented edge room it's just that six out of the 11 dudes are <laughs> freshmen hey uh i'm excited that sounds great now inside linebacker is where as you've said a couple of times here already you could really kind of well at first it felt a little concerning you know when you see like like just i mean justin flow was like a, a bottle rocket as in like he was he was very powerful but sometimes he would just be aimed in the wrong direction or something and uh but he was a five star noah sewell we love noah sewell certainly has popped up with some amazing highlights over the years more so in the chris ball era but he was built like a fire plug right like yes. six two two fifty three. you know like that's yeah. a 
that's a fire plug kind of of linebacker, which is which is great for that system and is why the mm-hmm. Bears drafted him in the fifth round. Mm-hmm. And and we were, I mean, immediately as a freshman, you were like, look at the size of guy. Look how powerful this guy. Look at him blow through a tackle or something like that. Yeah. But and something that is first caught a lot of eyes as in oh we're in a lot of trouble uh at this position which was true due to the injury and such basa stepping in instead of mm-hmm. he was a safety beforehand yes right yeah yeah and the 2021 class as a as a four-star safety yeah. but then he was forced to play as a true freshman in 2021 due to all those mm-hmm. injuries as a linebacker and then he stuck ever since as a linebacker and i mean for years i've been saying like this guy needs to get back to the safety room because he's built like a safety and now mm-hmm. he's finally in a defensive system and first of all he he eventually beat out justin flow for the starting inside linebacker yes. job like he's he was the starter next to sewell last year and mm-hmm. flow was the primary backup. And second of all, he is now in a system in which safe, like dudes who are built like safeties are what they want at inside yes. linebacker. So like, mm-hmm. look at the guys who left Sewell was drafted, but flow transferred out Keith Brown, who's six, one, two Yeah. Fire plug transferred Hard out. Hard hitter. Yeah. <laughs> Jackson Lejuke, six, two, mm-hmm. transferred out. Uh, Harrison Taggart, uh, transferred out. Actually Harrison Taggart has the right build for it. He was a redshirt freshman that they recruited. I, I'm not sure why he transferred out actually. Um, it's not because he's the wrong body type. He just did. Um, uh, anyway, the son of Willie Taggart. Is that no, he's not. The son <laughs> of Willie Taggart. Um, I know. If, I you, know. if you get, two photographs or photographs of those guys you'd understand that one um <laughs> anyway uh that that one's not for body size he just he just transferred out um the uh but yeah the other guy you know for like for folks who were like but keith brown had a really good year last year and i think he's a good linebacker i, I do think he's a good linebacker and he did have a good year but like he's a run stopper and so is jackson Leduke. And like, that's not the type of linebacker that they want for this defense. They want guys like Jeffrey Bossa and mm-hmm. they, and it explains why Jamal Hill, yes. who is a nickel for four straight years. He played nickel for since 2019 for Oregon. Mm-hmm. Hey, he's a linebacker now because linebacker, because yeah. you know, DB type bodies and DB type skill sets is what they want because they want him to play the pass. So, and the other returner, Devin Jackson, he was the other true freshman, 214, you know, 6'2", long limbs, right? Because he's a pass player, right? Mm-hmm. And then look at the, and then Jerry Mixon, that's another 6'2", long limb guy. You know, that was the true freshman they recruited. So like the three guys they recruited out of the prep ranks are Devin Jackson, Harrison Taggart, who transferred out, and Jerry Mixon. All those guys have the same body type. They're all tall, rangy, you know, in and, and slimmer because they're not the run plugger you know fire hydrant mm-hmm. type of guys they're you know they're that kind of guy and then look at the the transfers that they got they got justin jacobs and connor soleil from iowa and arizona state respectively i review both of their film in the same article both of those guys were they come from four three systems which are not the same system as this one and so i was like well how did these guys fit in you know because they're totally different systems they're not mm-hmm. middle linebackers they were Arizona state system was weird. Don't make me give the, you the nomenclature for <laughs> ASU system. Cause they all got fired. So I don't like care about them, but like <laughs> basically he was playing. Soleil was playing outside the box. 
he was like his job was like you know covering tight ends and slot receivers and then would come down on the run you know from the outside and jacobs was too jacobs is easier to explain because he was a sam in a four to three system which like everybody understands that or you should if you understand conventional football theory which Mm -hmm. that's all of your audience right there they listen to your podcast about 1902 football most of them yeah yeah they're good a sam in a 4-3 defense is sort of like a nickelback he lines up way outside the box over like split out tight ends or slot receivers or you know whatever and jacobs is like 6-4 in 240 but like he carries 240 like he's a slimmer man and he's got these really long levers like for arms like his his arms are super long um like he can touch his knees without bending over um (laughs) and it's like a watch the film from my um article i I put like an entire clip section of him tackling because it's like he's he's like a black widow spider like he gets his fingertips on you and you are going down because it's like his <laughs> leverage is so great he's just like oh I, it's just so it's it's wonderful to watch him tackle because he's just like he he grabs you and he just brings you down so perfectly like it's it's so because because of the leverage and it's like yeah that's what they want they want him to like play in coverage and they want to be able to intercept you got not intercept the ball i mean i guess it'd be nice if he intercepts the ball but i mean like intercept you on your while you're running and 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 bring you down and like yeah so it's like yeah, you can see the philosophy is different in the types of bodies that they have. Anyway, Jacobs and Bassa, I believe, are going to be the starters. Bassa just continues in his starting job. Jacobs, I think they got for a very specific reason. Yeah. And as soon as they turned on his film, I was like, oh, this makes sense. They're, you know, changing um, what the body types are going to be. I think that Jamal Hill is the primary backup because, I mean, he's got like 200 something tackles in his career. <laughs> And then, uh, and then I think Soleil is the other backup, and then the you know the freshmen are the depth, right? Jackson, the redshirt freshman, and Mixon, the true freshman. Six guys for depth in a two-position room. That's appropriate. Yeah, that's actually you know perfectly appropriate. Uh, for the cornerbacks, if that's where you'd like to go to next, sure. I would imagine it seems like it's Bridges and Manning to lose, and hopefully we get some young talent or or talent in general behind them. I. Th- yeah, I, it, to lose is probably the right way to put it. I, you know, I, I really think it's time for Dante Manning to step up. I think he's on the trajectory to do it. He was a 2024 star or five star. I think he finished out the 2021 and 2022 season strong. And it's just like, yeah, this is going to be his fourth year. It's it's time. He was the primary backup last year, uh, right? Because mm-hmm. the starters were Gonzalez and Bridges. And then he was the third guy in who would rotate so it's just like yeah this is his trajectory it's time for him to be a starter bridges was the other starter last year i think that bridges has a lot of qualities that people underrate like he's not the best dude in coverage he's not terrible in coverage like a lot of duck fans seem to think but like he's he's not terrible either like he's pretty good i mean he got three interceptions last year you can't be like a joke of a you know coverage you know guy and get three interceptions and the other thing about him is that he's pretty big you know he's like six three he tackles very well and like i remember when we were in the spring game i like elbowed you a couple of times because like he was making tackles that some of the other corners weren't you know like just like sort of basic flat routes that a lot of other corners would like they go to make the tackle and they bounce off the dude because oregon's got some big receivers right 
um, Bridges would be the guy who would wrap him up and bring him down. Right. And like, that's a valuable skill. Like you don't get any yards after the catch. So like, I don't want to, what I'm about to say about, I think he needs a challenge. I don't want anybody to, to think I'm saying, cause I think he's trash and valueless. Like, I don't think that's true. I think that he is a very fine uh, cornerback option. And if they don't wind up having anybody better than him, then I still think that, you know, he's a, he's a good guy to have. And I th- think he'd be a good backup to have if they do have somebody better. Like, I don't think they should change him off the team either but he needs a challenge and i want to see him get challenged and i think they have some options to challenge him the options would be the returner jaleel florence who was the 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 other backup like the fourth guy in he was a he was a true freshman last year but he was getting substantial backup minutes as a true freshman he was a mid four star last year that's a good trajectory that puts you on a trajectory to challenge for real playing time. So let's see it, mm-hmm. Jaleel. They also got two guys out of the transfer portal. They, uh, for the spring game, uh, they got Kyrie Jackson from Alabama. He was the other guy that they got before the spring game, but I didn't have enough film to review because he was a backup corner at Alabama. And just like the, the, the broadcast angles on backup corners is so bad that I had like, I, I mean, I, I got all the tape from Alabama cause I, cause they also got Trayshawn Holden, right. You know, so I already had all that film. Holden was also from Alabama, so I already had all that film. And but it's just like I, I I tried to find Kyrie Jackson on it, and I just couldn't. Like it just wasn't enough film to review. So like I don't know how good he is. He was a four star in the 2021 class, but so I we'll we'll see. You know that's a possibility. And then they also got Nico Reed uh, after the spring game from Colorado, who's really interesting. I remember when we talked to um, Jack Barsh. Remember Adam mm-hmm. when we talked to Jack mid season in, in the fall of 2022, just before Oregon played them. At the end okay. of that podcast, which you can dig up, um, I'll put the timestamp in my article. I was talking about, of course, this would be like eight months before I even had an inkling that Nico Reed would would wind up at Oregon. Right? I was like. I think that Nico Reed might sneakily be one of the best corners in the Pac-12 because <laughs> no one throws against him. Um, mm-hmm. It's just that, you know, the, the inside of Colorado's defense, like the, the safeties and the linebackers are so bad that like they throw against those guys instead. But like, remember, Nico Reed was trained by Demetrius Martin while Demetrius Martin was still at Colorado. It's like he trained up. Christian Gonzalez and Mecky Blackman who just got drafted, Mm -hmm. but he was, he was also training at the same time, Nico Reed. And so now Nico Reed comes back to, you know, reunite with his old coach. So like, I don't know, maybe man, you know, he was a low three star in the 2021 class. So it was, you know, he has the lowest talent of the room, but like he was a starter, you know, unlike Lawrence and, and Jackson, I don't know, maybe. He could, you know, that's, I I, want to see that fall camp battle. And then they also, they got four true freshmen here. Two of them are three stars, uh, Solomon Davis and Colin Gill. I kind of think they'll probably redshirt uh, because they're three stars. Um, Mm -hmm. But two of them, uh, Roderick Pleasant and uh, Dalen Austin are very exciting. Um, Roderick Pleasant is like one of the fastest men alive. Like he just Hmm. set a bunch of California records and Dalen Austin uh has yeah track records and then dalen austin is like some really incredible uh cornerback tape and he's um and he's tall too he's six one which like it's definitely the case that demetrius martin prefers uh uh taller cornerbacks like christian gonzalez was six two for example mm-hmm. so like i don't know man there's a possibility there's a possibility that we see um 
Pleasant or Austin, like try to break into this room or at the very least do the same thing that like Florence and, and Manning did, which was play as true freshmen as like backups. Yeah. Um, so like, yeah, it's a, it's a deep cornerback room at the very least. And so, yeah, but that's the way I see it. I see that Manning has a starting job because it's time for him to have a starting job. And then even though Bridges was a starter last year, whereas Manning wasn't, I think that Bridges is the one whose job is, is vulnerable and up for a challenge. But at least we have someone with experience in that spot. Yeah, right. But the, you know, and either he fights off that challenge and remains the starter or, you know, somebody better than him, you know, winds up with the starting job. Uh, or maybe, you know, one of those other guys that I just listed beats out Manning for the starting job. Either way, mm. you know, competition is healthy. Iron sharpens iron. And it's deep. You know, I, I think they probably have, uh, you know, five guys who've seen the field before in Bridges, Manning, Florence, Reed, and Jackson. And then they have two four-star, one high four-star, four one mid-four-star who are very exciting, true freshmen. So like, and, and then two, you know, two, two more uh, three-star true freshmen. So it's a deep room, uh, a good deal of experience, it's, you know, it's healthy competition. So yeah, we'll, we'll see how this goes, but like, yeah, I like the room. It's well-managed. Certainly. Are you ready to bump up your crush and totally put Cole Martin as starting Nickelback? I am actually, I, I alluded to this earlier, but yeah, all of it clicked into place for me when I saw him with the ones in the spring game. It's a little it's a little weird to say true freshman surefire starting Nickelback, but yeah, it's, you know, because, because Bennett Williams left, you know, he's with the dolphins now and yeah. Jamal Hill left. He's with the inside. <laughs> it sounds like he died now. at sea or something when you put it that way. Oh. <laughs> he's with the dolphins now. <laughs> Sorry. So yeah, both of their Nickelbacks are, are, are no longer Nickelbacks with Oregon mm-hmm. anymore, anymore. Um, so they need a, a new Nickelback. And I know a lot of people speculated it was going to be Taishim Johnson for, well, I, I explained all of this in the top of the podcast uh, or the top of the defensive section of the podcast anyway, but no, I'm, I'm going to go out and say it. I think they're going to do what they did in the spring game, which is it's going to be the two transfers who came in. I reviewed both of them in the same article, Taishim Johnson from Ole Miss playing field safety, who's the farther back safety, and Evan Williams playing boundary safety, who's the guy who comes down and runs the alley. Evan Williams being the younger brother of Bennett Williams. Yes. What's interesting about those two is that Oregon returns their starters from last year at boundary and field safety. That's Steve Stevens and Brian Addison. But as I sort of alluded to, I didn't, their grades are not great. They're not terrible, mm-hmm. but they're not great either. And I really think that Oregon brought in Taishim Johnson and Evan Williams specific a specifically to challenge those two at those two's positions and B uh, you know, not just like to add general depth to the safety room and we'll let the chips fall where they may, but I mean specifically Johnson to challenge Addison at field safety and Williams to challenge Stevens at boundary safety. And B, I liked their the transfers film substantially better than I liked the returning starters film. And I think they're going to win. Mm, I and like so... This. So, yeah, I and uh, and so, yeah, I think they're going to be the new starters. I think that Stevens and Addison are going to be the backups or maybe like Damon David, um, 
who was injured in the spring yeah. and maybe he's like the backup and Addison goes back to being the dime. Um, there's, there's some more depth here too, like JJ Greenfield and Kamari Terrell, um, who I think is going to be the backup nickel. There's, there's a couple other true freshmen too, um, who her backup safeties, Tyler Turner and Cody DeCambra. Um, but yeah, no, I really think that Cole Martin, the, uh, the true freshman and the, uh, the coach's kid is going to be the starting nickel. Uh, I know how dangerous it is to like crown a spring game champ, but like it all, it's not because he was the spring game champ. It's because he makes all of the moves that they made. We really should have started from the back and moved forward um, rather than the (laughs) the front and moved back. Uh, He made it all make sense. He made the Johnson and Williams moves to uh, to, to challenge Stevens and Addison make sense. Mm. He made the hill into the linebacker room move made sense. He made all the freshman backups to the defensive line makes sense like the vote of confidence that that represents he made the clearing out of the olb room make sense it, it the fact that it all makes sense if you just believe that martin is the starting nickelback makes me believe that that was planned and of course it was planned all they needed to do was have one father-son chat <laughs> You see, the this is why I wanted to end here, though, is because then you get the the secular ending of we started the podcast gushing over Martin, and now we're ending it talking about just just in love with Cole Martin. I mean, we might not be in love with Cole Martin. Maybe he turns out to be terrible. <laughs> I'm just saying that there was a plan. Like, yes, it, it seems very clear that this was planned. I get it. And and there, yeah, there are changes happening. There's changes that needed to happen, obviously, in year two of Dan Lanning. And uh, I'm excited for the season, If What more can I say? Who couldn't be? Nowhere to go but up. Well, this is, uh, this is year five. We've gotten through them all. Once again, every, I mean, I'm sure if you're listening to this and you're two plus hours in, you, you should be familiar with Hithliday's written work. So much effort put into finding clips representative of what he is talking about in each different aspect of it when, when we're actually reviewing the film and, the, and in a lot of these upcoming articles just really in-depth research which is not happening anywhere else and if you are a duck fan this is i mean you already should have been over there but you need to go over to addicted to quack because this is where i I know a lot of people are you learn from podcasts you learn from watching film well these duck dives these uh roster reviews especially on addicted to quack are great combinations of both you got the link to the podcast i mean you're already here so you already listened to it but also go over there because they're great companion pieces i know even i even after i've recorded these with you and then edit them i still will go over there and learn something new I mean, honestly, I mean, the, the podcasts that we do together are like the rough drafts for my article. I, I, I wind yeah. up changing a lot of stuff. Like a lot of people tell me that they they like they listen to the podcast and I'm like, well, what do you think about the article? And they're like, there's an article. And I'm like, it's like reading the <laughs> rough draft of, of something <laughs> like, you know, I, I, I wind up like coming to different conclusions. Like, like, like my USC preview, like I, I really made a mess of the defensive line section. Like I wound up writing very different things about the defensive mm. line, you know, when I really thought about our conversation with Alicia about 
about the D line. I I don't know, man. Like I yeah, read you should read articles. You know, the, the podcast is just for like <laughs> more than like just the title. Checking. Hey, can I uh, can I uh, plug my own podcast? Absolutely, please, I mean, please. We should I have mean, been doing that I the whole way. You're the audio editor, so if I can't, you would just edit this out. Um, yeah, we'll see if this makes the cut. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, uh, I host my own podcast with the other writers at Addicted to Quack. It is called "It Never Rains" on this podcast. Um, you can mm. catch it on you know any podcast catcher. It's on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and wherever else. Um, uh, we talk about uh, uh, all the duck sports. Uh, you know, I, I host every week, and so you know we talk and I write about football. So we talk about football every week. We also talk about the Diamond Ducks and basketball and all the other sports that uh, that Oregon sponsors. Um, the the other writers at ATQ are uh, are great, um, and uh, you know a lot of different perspectives. Uh, we cover the stuff that we write about at ATQ, um, and we have a lot of fun. Again, the name is It Never Rains on this podcast. That's right. It never rains on this podcast. It's it's been it's been a pleasure. It's been a lot of work on both of our ends, but couldn't be happier to do it. Uh, especially because, God damn it, I love this stupid conference, and it's sometimes awful, sometimes amazing football. And we're gonna get one more go of this Pac-12 because before it comes, whatever the hell it's gonna be. And I'm excited that we we did this. Uh, me too, man. Like uh. I I mean sixty of them six zero straight <laughs> yeah uh, yeah no nobody can touch this. this is a fantastic record and I don't know what the future holds uh, for this conference but uh, however many teams are in it or if the Oregon winds up in the Big Ten and, and we gotta mm-hmm. you know start digging up like Iowa writers to talk about like oh, oh man God man oh dude so many different. Uh accents that we'll have on the podcast all of a sudden <laughs> so many more don't, don't you knows or whatever you know i do i like the diversity of all the people that we've talked to in this series you know like the the west coast is a is a diverse place um and uh and uh, then uh, switching to a bunch of flat midwestern accents i don't know if i can handle it <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, yeah. don't you understand we have different kinds of corn here and our corn is superior yeah oh I'm not god sure. the corn talk i'm not looking forward to that if it happens you know what and whenever i have to review like rose bowl tape or whatever it's like i'll I'll be you know i gotta get through the tape and and while i'm skipping through commercials it's like crop insurance commercials and i'm like could you guys (laughs) stop living up to stereotypes for like 10 seconds (laughs) absolutely and then it'll be like oh wow this uh podcast has 10 million followers because that's all they care about yeah oh my god they blow us out of the water for readership yeah oh my gosh I mean, honestly, us interviewing some Nebraska guy, which I believe we have done in the past, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, those have got to be just doubling our most listened numbers. <laughs> so I guess I'm ready for those bug eaters to get my way. All right, listeners, we will be pro- – well, if if you're used to the Quack 12 sounding exactly like this, this, you know, uh, very – uh, logical walkthrough, you know, so much football knowledge in every episode. You're in for a rude awakening for next week because Aaron and I will be back on the main feed breaking down uh, Oregon Duck news. Go check us out at Quack 12 Podcast on Twitter. Give us a five-star review on any 
listening device you got. It helps people find the podcast. And do the same for It Never Rains on this podcast while you're there. Give them five stars. Leave them a comment. We will see you all next week. Quack, quack. 